Hello and welcome to our fashionably late episode 207 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And you can blame the delay on Comic-Con, which had us running around on zero sleep for like four plus days. And I don't know, it was worth it though, right? Yeah, it was a good Comic-Con. I guess I would say so. Yeah, so in this episode, we're going to be discussing all the video game happenings in and around the con, which it actually felt like an awful lot like this year. There was a big video game presence. Uh, plus, we're going to weigh in on all the big Switch hardware news from the good of the new Switch Lite and the uh, modified original with a bigger battery to the bad of the Joy-Con drift issue really blowing up for Nintendo in these past couple weeks. Um, so all that is why we have the hybrid tile of Spotlight on Comic-Con 2019 because, because it's like the system. Anyway, yeah, we're also going to have impressions of Dr. Mario World in this episode. So there's a fair amount. As always, there are timestamps for hotel.com. If you're interested, in the blog post below us, or in the, um, if you're in the video, below the video, it's there too. But, uh, yeah, we're now a few days removed from Comic-Con. Um, hopefully you've had a chance to catch up on sleep. Nope. Same. Uh, I had work, so I couldn't, and you can already hear me tripping up my words as a result. But, uh, what's your excuse? You know, I guess you had family visiting, but... yeah. Just as bad. It arguably worse. Nothing against family, but you have to pay attention to them not just during work hours, but the entire. I mean, literally time. from the Monday right after Comic Con, I had to wake up at six, and I wasn't "quote unquote" done for the day until like midnight, and then the next morning we had to wake up like at eight, and I wasn't done until like midnight. <laughs> and then <laughs> we're here today, where I still woke up like I just naturally woke up at nine and just. Had a bunch of errands to run, did a bunch of other yep. work, and now and we're this here. recording will be taking us to midnight. Well, probably not. We're starting a little earlier, but either way, um, yeah, I think um, Comic Con, you know, as the pregame to the lack of or the, the lack of sleep that Comic Con creates, it is a worthwhile trade off. Like, I mean, how would you rate the show this year? What What did you think of it? What were some highlights for you? I mean, the, my overall experience this year was probably, I don't know, I, I guess I would say the best one so far. We've gone that's eight, out of eight. Yeah, that's eight times. And before that, I mean, it probably would have been, like, the first time we went just because of the whole, like, spectacle of you're seeing everything for the first time. The first yeah. time we got to get autographs with Kevin Eastman, co-creators of Ninja Turtles. And, you, you know, you do a lot of those first. We, you know, I think that year that's also when we got to see Charles Martinet. Mm-hmm. There was a lot he of... He recorded us a podcast yeah, A lot of really crazy, great stuff was just... A lot of things lined up for us that year. And this year, in spite of me not being able to get a specific Ninja Turtle set, um, after that, it wasn't. It ended up not even being that big of a deal. We got so many other cool things. I still got to do Kevin Eastman signatures, but um, Elvis and I, my brother, we got to hang out with him at a bar for an hour, have some drinks with him, have a nice long chat with him. Which is like insane. Like regardless yeah. of what your fandom Cause, of, because you know, like being able you, to meet the creator and hang with him for an hour is crazy. Because you do like multi- and just meeting other like big Ninja Turtle fans because we realized we don't really ever talk to people that like Ninja Turtles as much as we do and not to mention you know all the all the cool parties a bunch of other activations but I feel like taking those like I feel like taking those Ninja Turtle fandoms to what it feels like the next level just felt really really great and also just discovering other small things and also even reconnecting with some friends that I hadn't really I guess really touched bases on in a long time like I saw them last year it was like a quick like hello but we went a separate ways and now we actually got a nice long chat in mm-hmm. like it definitely made this one especially memorable and yeah I mean I bought a lot of stuff so. don't forget you're also four to four for four in Smash yeah, Bros I mean that was fun but it was also kind of like I don't know if I'm going to do it again next year like it 
It's well, to explain what we're talking about, there's a tournament at Comic Con for Smash Bros. every year. You've been the reigning champ. Yeah, for four years now. For four years now. It's official but unofficial. It's like an official game like, room, but it's not like a Nintendo-hosted thing. Yeah, it's like by Microsoft. This year's prize was a screening for... An early screening for Hobbs and Shaw on today. No, it was yesterday. Today's or Wednesday. Yeah, today, no, today. Oh, yeah, yesterday. Wednesday. Yeah, for yesterday. <laughs> yes, it was a screening for Hobbs and Shaw in at San a Diego. specific theater in San Diego at a specific time, yeah. two days after Comic-Con, which is like... What was the first year's prize? So they went, like, the first year was a $50 gift card to the Microsoft Store. We're like, okay, cool, but there's, like, nothing in there we need, but whatever. I could just find something I could want. But they didn't have any kind of gift card. Like, I couldn't use it to buy, like, Microsoft Store points or anything like that. So it was kind of dead. We ended up just using it to get an Xbox game for my friend. Because I didn't have an Xbox. And then the next year... You still year, don't. Still yeah. current tense. And then the following <laughs> year, they downgraded a little bit. They just let us pick one game between six Xbox One games. And again, again, no Xbox. Yeah, so we just picked the random one and gave it to a friend. Then the third year, it was just a hat. And then this year was... A ticket to Hobbs and Shaw yeah, at a special location at a special time. And they did throw in a, like a titanium like thermos cup. It was a tumbler, which you immediately tumbled. Yeah, it, like as a hand, as you walked away after winning it, because I, I was in the room at that point, it just went flying across. The that room. was pretty funny. But, <laughs> that was pretty funny. But yeah, I, it's just starting to feel the last game is always the most challenging one. But I don't know. I guess it's starting. You about to say you're too good. No, but you're about to say you're too good. No, I guess um, I just need to find a because I'm not maybe for this particular tournament. Listen, man, Evo had the best. Highest, the most entries for any game at Evo this year by a thousand was Smash Bros. Go to Evo, compete there. You won't be the no, top. No, 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 no. You'll be the bottom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and they could work your way up over that's, many that's years. I need to find a tournament that's more my level because I, right. I feel like I'm somewhere between this tournament and Evo. Evo, I feel like I wouldn't even make it out of pools. You know, like right, the yeah. tournament that decide whether to even make it into a bracket. Because like most of these people, or I guess for the most part in these four years, I I rarely drop a single game, and if I do, like I'll get destroyed one game. And then I'll completely sweep the last two. And in the one time I competed in a more top tier, I guess, tournament at the esports arena in Santa Ana, right there, the competition is very steep. I mean, you usually get like the world's best Luigi, the world's best Mars, the world's best. Like, and mm-hmm. I mean, we all know who they are if you play, if you're in the Smash community. I thought you just could stop it. We all know who they are. You guys know who I'm talking no, no, about. No. The world's best alternate color scheme to Luigi. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't know what color elegant plays. So I want to say just normal Luigi, but anyway, do they rank by colors? Yeah, they wouldn't, obviously, but they they all do in their own like yeah. random ways. Because you yeah. know they they got to get them YouTube likes and whatnot. True, but a lot of them also are also sponsored, so they don't really need to do that either. Yeah, right? It's yeah. fine. Whatever colors are closer to Red Bull and run with yeah. it. <laughs> but I mean, overall, it was incredibly fun. Um, unfortunately, my brother was kind of sick most of the time. Yeah, but that was it, a but, bummer. But even in spite of that. Um, all he really missed out on was the grunt work that I ended up doing because he would have just been <laughs> yeah. doing what I was doing except, you know, he was just in bed over there right. getting nauseated. But he was, he was like always better by the evening when the parties were yeah, conveniently. So, so, he, so, so, he was, so he was able to do all the fun activation stuff. He was able to meet Kevin, hang out at the bar with Kevin Eastman mm-hmm. and do the other Kevin Eastman stuff and look at the other cool activities. But, you know, it's a really good Comic-Con. I, I do think kind you're... Kind of debating whether... If I want to take a break or not. Well, we could... You have a year. I mean, yeah, I have a year, but... (laughs) Normally, I'm like, can't wait for the next one, but this time, I'm kind of like... I don't know. 
I'm feeling kind of happy overall. But well, you'll be able to figure it out. Or actually, you have a couple months until the raffle, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say, though, is that... Oh, I, f- I guess a better way to put it is since it is a raffle, like, if I don't get them, I feel like I wouldn't be bummed out. I feel like if I hadn't gotten them any year from this one to the priors, I'd be like, oh, that sucks. I really wanted to go. Yeah. But I feel like if I don't get this one, I'd be like, well, actually, that's fine. I'm already, I think I think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I think you should apply simply because if you're not in the raffle, you lose out on the early dibs raffle. Like if you, if you don't get a pass of any amount, well, I mean, I'm going to apply year. for it, but I mean, if yeah. I don't get it, like it's no big deal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what and if I end up not going that year, then that's pretty much it. Like I don't think I'm going to care as much anymore. Right. Well, anyway, before we get into the future of ConCon, I do think your Smash Tory thing actually kind of encompasses what I thought was so cool about ConCon this year. Not so much that you're over the Smash Tory or even that ConCon's reached its peak for you, but it's the idea like Comic-Con has Smash Tory. Like there's stuff going on besides Nintendo that involved Nintendo. And I was sort of saying this at the top of the show, but like gaming, specifically Nintendo, felt like it had a really, really big presence this year. So for, for those who don't know... Um, every year, Nintendo's a booth on the show floor and a gaming lounge set up next door in the Mar- in the Marriott Ballroom. And this year was actually the first year we didn't go into the lounge whatsoever. For me, it was partly because I already played all the games at That's E3. Funny. The lineup was... That's usually what? one of the staples of Comic-Con every year. I know, and we didn't do it at and all. I, and I didn't even feel like... Oh, but here's the, well because we were both at E3. But here's the thing: I, I didn't still even play did, those games at E3. Sti- oh yeah, but I did. But I still did most of. I still did more Nintendo stuff this year than in past years, even though I didn't go to Nintendo at all, which is what's so weird to me. Because like the boot, the, the booth was the E3 lineup, or sorry, not the booth, the lounge. So it's you know Luigi's Mansion, Link's Awakening, Pokemon, Marvel, Ultimate Alliance three. But like, so for me, I didn't care. I already played it. For you, you didn't seem to care. But for the guys that maybe did want to go, like the problem was the line. I kid you not was between four and five hours long on any given day, which is just nuts. Um, but even without the lounge, I still feel like, like I started to say, like I had a really Nintendo-centric Comic-Con because they were just everywhere. Like everything I was doing somehow seemed to tie, almost everything seemed to tie into Nintendo. I mean, Marvel had a big panel. I didn't go to this, but like just get an idea of how the breadth of Nintendo's coverage. Mar- Marvel had this big panel on Hall H, all about their games. Of course, Ultimate Alliance 3 was there. They announced some DLC for the game. Southwest Airlines, which I wasn't on, but just to give you an idea... They had a flight coming into Comic-Con where they teamed up with Nintendo and gave the entire plane switches and copies of Mario Maker 2. They even made their own aviation-themed Mario Maker level for folks to try on the flight and in the gaming lounge. And then this was also one of the first years, this is something I did do, this was one of the first years, um, if not the very first that I can recall, that one of the very big Comic-Con exclusive items was actually Nintendo-related. It was uh, Mattel. They made a limited-edition die-cast Mario Kart Hot Wheel it's Mario and his glider. It comes in silver, or if you get one in one out of ten, it's gold, special chase variant. Uh, and what's cool is that the box it comes in kind of doubles as like this display case of Rainbow Road. So it's this really nice collector's item. It's not just like you have a Hot Wheel; you have like a whole little ready to sit on a shelf, ready on display thing. And I've never, in my eight years of Comic Con, stood in line for something at Mattel or Hasbro or any of the game uh, toy companies. But there I was. Thursday morning, dedicating two hours to try and get the cart. And I, I didn't succeed. I did have to pay a little bit over retail price for, from a third-party vendor just to get it. But nonetheless, like these are all things I never did before. These are staples of most Comic-Con experiences. You were talking about how much you bought. I've never had to go through this. But then there is Nintendo with something for the first time. It's like, oh, I guess I'll do that. Or if we're talking like actual highlights, the other cool Nintendo thing I did that was not a, like a, you know, a lounge or a booth or any sort of traditional demo like we've done for eight years 
is I went and took part in a Nintendo Minute meetup with Kit and Krista from Nintendo. Um, it was actually our friend and I were trying to get in to the lounge. They said it was a four-hour wait. We're like, no. And then we turn, and there's just a sign there that's like, come build a Mario Maker level with Kit and Krista. And we kind of look at each other, and we're like, well, it's something it's something to do. It's Nintendo. So we sign up, and what it turned out to be was there were about 30 people that took us up to the 20th floor of the Marriott. They rented out like a suite overlooking the marina, and they just had Mario Maker set up on a massive TV. All the chairs were in a ring around it. They had it fully catered. They had coffee. They had sodas. They had a... Uh, or charcuterie, or however you say it, board full of cheese and cured meats, and it was quite elaborate for what it was. And then we just hung out for about ninety minutes. And then they offered you a job at Nintendo, and, and then uh, I turned it down because, like, no, what about the podcast? Uh, no, I wish they offered me a job at Nintendo, but um, I could still see you turning it down for that. And I could not. I think honestly, the day I quit the podcast is the day I go to Nintendo. Um, but yeah, it was just like this really cool thing, and it was like a group of us hanging out and just like. They only filmed like a little small segment of it that I'm sure they're going to put in their Nintendo Minute vlog for Comic-Con and they took a picture of all of us. And the, the kind of cool thing is they gave us all a swag bag that included all the swag from downstairs in the lounge that we couldn't get, including um, stuff they had E3 like the Link Keychain, but also the special Comic-Con-only Splatoon 2 Splatfest keychains for the final Splatfest of Team Chaos versus Team Order. And those are really nice keychains. But yeah, we got to like hang out. The um the kind of funny thing about it is that it was a it's a pretty mixed age group. There were some folks around our age, there were some kids, there were some like in between, and there were these three kids, I don't know, like twelve or four no, like yeah, twelve or fourteen, maybe fifteen, that I take it back, they're like twelve. They basically ran the show. They were like, We're gonna do level, we have all these ideas and what happened was at one point our friend jokingly volunteered me to be the guy that controls the level. What he didn't know is I have only been playing Mario Maker in handheld mode, which has, as, as anyone that knows, has very, very simple controls. But if you're in handheld mode and then you jump to TV mode, suddenly you have to like navigate with the D-pad and select things and switch menus and press sticks to zoom in and do all this other stuff that you know gestures would do otherwise. And I had no idea what to do because I have yet to play it in TV mode. I literally only played it in handheld mode. 80% of the time I play my Switch, I'm playing in handheld mode. So I got to make a complete fool of myself in front of the lovely Nintendo people. Which was great. And I was not at all regretting that in the least bit, clearly. But no, it was just kind of funny. But um, yeah, if you want to check out the level that we all built, the 30 of us, it's actually up on the Nintendo Minute, um, on the Nintendo Minute, what's what I'm looking for, profile on Mario Maker. It's called Ant Hill Antics. And since I know everyone's always listening to the podcast with a pen and paper at the ready, the level code, if you'd like to play it, is 85 g M5RMFG. Now, I have no idea how much of the level that we built is the level that you will now be playing because the thing is, at one point, Kit was like, hey, yeah, you guys control a little, and the 12 year olds went crazy and made the level nearly impossible. So much so that, like, Kit and Chris were like, yeah, we're going to be editing this after the factor and kind of like making fun of how out of control it was. So we'll see. But the, the hot new trend seems to be weird Mario Maker levels. I mean, Wendy's. Of all thing, of all people, the the fast food chain Wendy's just rolled out a whole Mario Maker world. It's like five or six different levels themed around their menu. We'll link to it um, in the blog post if anyone wants to check it out. But it seems like the this summer's hottest trend is Mario Maker levels. So go check out the one I helped make on Nintendo's now official profile, and these other ones are around if you want. But uh, yeah, so that was kind of a cool, unique experience. Um, 
there was also like it, it like i was trying to say it wasn't just nintendo that made like the different nintendo experiences too because there was also like warner brothers was there for example and they brought this huge off-site activation for detective pikachu that was kind of cool and at the perfect time too like this was literally days before you know days after i should say um it was announced that Detective Pikachu is now the number one video game movie of all time. Box office has top four hundred thirty-six million dollars worldwide. So it's a it's a pretty good spot to be in when you just become the number one movie of all time. But video game bomb movie. Movie wise, I don't know. It made a profit. For a Pokemon movie. So that yeah no that's a good question. Like it made a profit, but I don't know what that means in terms of their expectations. Like I don't know. If they thought it would do seven hundred fifty million, I don't know if they thought it would do a billion. I know that a bunch of people on the internet thought it would be a billion dollar movie, but I don't know if those people on the internet are smart. Like I don't know the actual expectations that Warner Brothers had. I do know that they're assessing if they want to do future movies, which isn't a slam dunk yes, which makes me think it underperformed. But nonetheless, number one video game movie of all time, that's still a record. Couldn't have happened to a better movie. Of all the video game movies, Detective Pikachu is probably the best of the bunch. And um, this Comic-Con offsite they put together was specifically promoting the new home release. So basically they create a walkthrough experience that took you through all the major set pieces. And it had some like trendy Instagram photo ops like infinity rooms with little Pikachu tails dangling from the ceiling. You know those rooms with the mirrors. Um, but yeah, it was actually – it was kind of, it was like uh, – you know, it took five minutes to walk through. But it was pretty cool. They had props on the movie. I mean you were there with me. What did you think of it? Sadek was neat. What was the Psyduck? Oh, oh yeah, the Psyduck. Yeah, that was the single coolest thing they had in there was the actual reference prop from Detective Pikachu of Psyduck. For some reason, not of Pikachu. Who knows why? But they had Psyduck, and he's very feathered, and he's very it's full life size. And yeah, that was cool. And they, I also just like when you first walk in, like they put you on the train into Rhyme City, and it there was a, there was a lot of detail. Like throughout the whole thing, there were always little details, like the train. I don't know if you noticed because we were going through kind of quick because we they left it open late for us, which was really nice. We were we got there right when it opened. The line was too long. They told us you could come back. We'll give you a fast pass. We're like no, no, no. We'll wait it out. And then they decided just keep it open for us. So we didn't look too closely, but like the train, you go in and they have like it's a normal train car kinda, but then they have like a special seat that's like Pokemon size and it's like you know designated Pokemon seating. And then if you look at the signs above, there's ads for, like Machamp's Muscle Gym and like. The Magikarp, I think it was Water Park or something like that. Like, it, there's some good attention to detail there. Yeah, really like looking at the stones, well, the evolution stones specifically. And they also had a few oddly selected items in there. Like, they had Nevermelt Ice and. They had stuff that I don't water, remember like, being in the movie whatsoever. Well, I'm sure they were there, like, just in the background yeah. and stuff. But, like, some of these items are, like, in the game, I think of them as, like, trash items because they're kind of just there because they're just kind of useless. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, of all the items you could have picked, you picked these. But it was still cool to see it was them cool. IRL. Yeah, they had all the props laid out in this, in one of the rooms. They also had kind of a fake-ish replica. I say fake because they didn't really look like it. Of um, what's his name? The mayor's office. And there's like a Mewtwo flowing in the background. But yeah, they had, they had different stones. They had they had a really cool, you know, they had like the Argas files. Um, but they also had a really cool, that wooden statue of, uh, who was it? Was it Krogunk or how you say his name? Yeah, it was the Krogunk. Yeah, that was cool. I thought that, I don't know why. I just really liked that one statue. Like, I would have taken that with me if I could have. Um, the one downside of us being the last group in is after hours, so to speak, is that supposedly when you get to the end, you're in a big room that's just 
fuzzy walls, yellow fuzzy walls, and there's a costumed Pikachu and a detective hat there for photos. We did not get said costumed Pikachu. We just got fuzzy walls. But, you know, it's still a cool experience, and it's, it's nice of them that they actually left it open for us. They really didn't have to do that because we were like 15 minutes after closing by the time we got in there. But And they had, of course, you know, the giant neon Detective Pikachu sign like in the posters. So, yeah, that, that was cool. And that was Nintendo's never done anything like that at Comic-Con. And granted, they didn't this time. It was Warner Brothers. But still, we've never had like an interactive activation versus just a place to go demo games. So I thought that was really cool. And if anything, like the Detective Pikachu offsite, it just got me really excited for what Universal is cooking up for Super Nintendo World. Because, I mean, if a temporary four-day thing can be this detailed and this cool and have these many like neat little props and things that you're like, oh, I don't care about this, but actually it's really cool in real life. Imagine what a permanent theme park will be like. Like, I think part of what put me in this mindset is that literally the day before or day of, maybe, uh, whatever, whenever it was in relation to when I went to the Detective Pikachu offsite, details about Super Nintendo World actually started leaking online. So as I was walking through it, I was just like, oh... This is totally like what the theme park's gonna be like, just on a much smaller scale. Like the the thing that leaked was an old model of the original park design. Um, it it featured it looks basically like the renders we've seen, but with the additional uh, Donkey Kong section with a pl- crash plane and stuff. Um, but what's more interesting than that model, which may or may not be up to date, is we also got the first details on one of the actual upcoming rides, which will be the Yoshi's Adventure Omni Mover. It's gonna be in all the parks except the LA park, of course, due to space they claim. But essentially, what you're going to do is you're going to be riding Yoshi through Mario environments. Well, I guess technically you're going to be riding in Yoshi. Like, think of Dumbo at Disneyland where you're, like, inside Dumbo's back and you can fit two people. It's that, but it's Yoshi, and he's going to be on a track, and there's going to be many different card Yoshis all in a row. I think it's, like, 40 different individual ones, and you're just going to kind of be sent through at this set rate, uh, set speed through the entirety of the Mushroom Kingdom. So part of it, you'll be overlooking the rest of the park, and you'll be able to see, like, the courtyard and all that and Peach's Castle. And then parts, they're going to turn you in to these special exclusive areas only the ride accesses, and you'll see things like Baby Mario and Koopa Troopas and Goombas. And in a bit of a deep cut, apparently a giant conch door from Mario 3D World will narrowly miss attacking you as you roll by, which is actually kind of interesting. If you look at all the renders of Super Nintendo World that we've seen, you can tell exactly when Nintendo and Universal greenlit the park. And it was the Wii U era. It was for, like, everything looks kind of like Super Mario 3D World, doesn't it? Like, y'all, is that, that aesthetic versus, like, the Odyssey aesthetic or the Galaxy aesthetic? I mean, I guess, but it also feels like if they were to make a theme park of anything, it definitely wouldn't be of Galaxy or well, yeah, yeah. anything like I guess, that. I guess the 3D World stack is the closest like, to yeah, the like, old like, Mario Like, stack. if anything, like, 3D World makes the most sense because, like you said, like, it, 3D World is supposed to be the original Mario aesthetic, but in 3D. Yeah, yeah. Which is exactly what they're doing, basically. Yeah, but... Um, I mean, and, I, guess and the looks, next, I guess yeah. the next closest thing would just be Mario 64, but... Yeah. But that's just a chunkier version of 3D World at that point, or a more polygonal yeah. one, yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, it sounds... The, obviously, the Rhine sounds kind of like one of the more kid-friendly attractions of the park, but still, like... It's just kind of cool to... I, I'm really excited to see how they bring it to life, or like how they integrate things like Baby Mario, or like are the Goombas walking around? Or are they stationary? Like how animatronic is this going to be? There, I have so many questions. But you were actually just at Universal on Monday, right? And you went to Harry Potter. I have yet to go to Harry Potter. So as someone that did Detective Pikachu and knows a slice of like, ooh, being in the world, and knows what Universal's doing, but doesn't know how they execute... 
how is how is Harry Potter? Did it feel like you were in Harry Potter? Like, did it, did it give you more hope for Nintendo World? Less hope? Like, where are you kind of sitting after going to Harry Potter? Underwhelmed. Really? I mean, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. Yeah. Um. I mean, I just yeah, I enjoy the prop the franchise enough. But was it underwhelming in execution, or just like you just didn't care about Harry Potter enough? I don't know. It, it just felt. I don't know. Or I guess, it's small. It's just small. I guess because Universal Studios Hollywood is just very tiny in general. Like, we yeah. were there for, you know, one day, and we literally got to do just about every single ride. The only thing we didn't do were, like, these two shows that were just closed that day anyway. But uh-huh. we got to do every single actual attraction and ride. And Harry Potter World, like, you're there. Like, you kind of walk down up to the castle, and the castle looks neat. But you also, I mean, it's also... Not to scale, obviously, but... Yeah, it's extremely... T- it's supposed to be off in the distance, I mean, Yeah, right? I mean, it's big, but it's also not that big. I mean, the Hogwarts train looks cool. Like, there's some stuff that looks cool. And there is, like, one spot where, like, once you walk in and you spin around 360, like, you can't see any part of the park anywhere. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of nice. It gives you that illusion that you're somewhere else. But after, I guess, a few seconds of walking in, there isn't much else to see. You're kind of like, oh, okay, I guess this is it. Maybe because... I mean, the Harry Potter world is just kind of like a... A slight spin a, on the a, real a, world. A snowy, dark version of a old-looking town. Right. Like, nothing about it. Like, it's not like they made a, the Forbidden Forest or some other, like, very crazy, whimsical area. It's just like, I'm in an old village. Like, oh, I guess it's Harry like, Potter. Like, was the wand shop cool? Like, did, uh, I, like, exactly. Like, the only, I guess, cool stuff is just, like, the train that's there, uh-huh. the castle in the distance, and... I mean, I guess, I don't know, it's like something I guess like you would only really, I mean, I guess it's no different than us if we were to go to the Mario World, but I guess because yeah. the Mario World it's more whimsical. It's more whimsical, and even like, I feel like Springfield was more interesting. Right. But that one I feel is even smaller. Well, Springfield's so, weird because it's just a row of facades with one restaurant. Like, it doesn't have the same, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it doesn't have the but same. But I feel like the entrance to the ride almost leaves me with more of an impact than Harry Potter World. Interesting. Like, you know, like the giant... But it sounds like some of that's because of your personal affinities for one No, I know. That's, that's, that's kind of yeah. hard to judge it, but I don't know. It If the scope is as big as Harry Potter, then I might then I might still might be like, oh, this is it, and that's it. Well, that's why we're going to the one in Japan where it's everything. They will have the Yoshi ride, unlike here. I thought here, it won't have everything because the... Japan's going to have everything. Because the Orlando one's going to have everything. Maybe Orlando... I think I think all but LA are going to have everything, and then LA is missing Yoshi. I mean, it's that. all up in the air. It's I know, I know. That, that's like, like... I don't even know where I read or who told me, but they were saying that the one in Japan wasn't going to have the DK area. Oh, I did hear that, that, that too. Was, you that, told me that. That that was going to yeah. be in just the... In Orlando. Yeah, just in Orlando. But we'll have Yoshi... And instead of Yoshi that, in LA, you know what we have? To that point, Secret too, life, life the Orlando pets. Park does have a bigger Harry Potter world, which I do hear a lot more positive things about. So, so I get, yeah. This so, is all the, I, so, if anything, Universal Studios Hollywood is more like a, a flavor. It's, it's like an appetizer before the yeah, movie. Yeah. A sneak preview Basically. before the big movie. Yeah. Before the feature film. Okay. Interesting. Yes. No, we got to keep going. Uh, no, but it's, yeah, that's interesting. So, it sounds like, well, let me ask you this. If it does seem like you're just in a, a random old village... Does it feel like a random old village? Does Hog- Hogsmeade actually feel like you're in a village, or does it feel like, oh, I'm in a fake town? You know what I mean? Like, because like I've heard Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, for example, you feel like you're on the planet somewhat. Wait, were you there too? No, you weren't. You no. didn't go to Disneyland. I mean, the fact that it has like permanent snow makes it feel kind of fake. Because mm. I mean, it was like really hot. So, right. Yeah. Right. You might be. Yeah. But you there's might... like icicles all over the place, and... and you're like, well, this is a lie. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. kind of kind of stands out a little in the summer, but you should go back in December and then we'll reassess. Nah, I don't think there's <laughs> a reason to go back to Universal until after Nintendo's built. Right, so 2021 or two. Yeah. But anyway, we'll actually goss on this topic. Like, why are we talking about Harry Potter? Oh, right. It was Detective Pikachu, Comic-Con. Yeah. So uh, my bar point, I guess, was just that it was cool to see Nintendo properties have a big presence at the, the show this year, throughout the show, beyond just Nintendo itself. Like, you know, Pikachu was directly across the convention center. It was like a massive 15, 20-foot-tall Pikachu just staring across the street, and that was cool. Like, never, no, Nintendo never had stuff like that. So it's nice to see that. It's nice to see the extra attention from partners with exclusives like Mario Kart or panels and Hall H or what have you. So that was all that was all very exciting to me as a fan. Um, even beyond Nintendo, though, like I feel like it was just a lot of gaming stuff this year. Like the panel for The Witcher, for example, is probably one of the bigger Hall H events this year. And listen, they keep saying... It's based on the book, not the video game. But they've got a huge fan base of gamers who are going to be tuning into this thing. So I'm going to count it as a video game. Most for people sake like me didn't even know it was based on a book. Yeah, I, a lot of people, a lot of people thought it was only a video game. I learned about a year ago the video game was based on a book. But before that, I also just thought it was a video game series. Yeah, but uh, likewise, along with The Witcher, another uh, game turned show, but without a book, was Cuphead, which they had a panel this year. And going into the show, they announced that they'll be getting their own animated series, also on Netflix, called The Cuphead Show. So. Mr. Animator sitting across from me. What are your thoughts on the show that pays tribute to old school animation getting its own animated show? Well, hopefully they pay tribute to old school animation by doing old school animation. That's pretty are much... you concerned they're going to go the Flash animation route or take some shortcuts? I'm not really concerned just because it's Netflix. So if they want to give them the budget, they can. They're not really that tight for money the way network TV is. But, they're starting to crack down though, because their subscriber rates are draw or uh, not increasing as fast anymore. But you know, I mean, that's like what I feel like make Cuphead great. So even if like they could, I mean, Flash animation could still be amazing and it could still be entertaining. I mean, Foster's Home is one of the first examples of really good Flash animation that at the time people sometimes didn't even read about Flash animation. Mm-hmm. It's just really well done. And today, like I feel like the new Mickey Mouse shorts are doing an amazing job with Flash animation. I've got like, good news for you on that front. Like, that show is, like, hilarious. Like, I mean, I've been keeping up with it since they debuted on YouTube, and it's crazy that they're little short videos on YouTube to begin with. But, I don't know, maybe if they actually do follow the old school style, they could just keep these episodes between, like, five and six minutes, and that way they don't have to worry about costing too much money to animate stuff. That is the beauty of uh, Netflix is there's no restrictions on runtime yeah. or anything like that. They do, to your point about they have unlimited budget, they are starting to cancel things more readily. Like they're starting to realize they don't have endless money. I mean, um, that BoJack spinoff, uh, Tuca and Birdie, after one season got canceled. Was just well, like a... it's the same animation style. It's the same premise of animal human weird things. You're right. It's not a spinoff. It's a uh, inspired by, I guess you could say. But that got canceled after one it's season. It's just by the same art director. It's by the same person, yeah. But that got canceled. So they are starting to crack. And while BoJack, you know, got years to grow into what it is now. So they are starting to scale back. But I said good news to you. Turns out the guy behind those Mickey Mouse shorts. Paul Rudish? Is that his name? Did he win an Emmy? Um, I just know Paul Rudish is known for a lot of stuff. Well, he's a pro- was he the producer? Okay, let me back up. The producer of those Mickey Mouse shorts. Maybe not the guy that's directing them. The producer of it. Emmy winning producer of it is one of the producers of the Cuphead show, as is the guy who's producing the upcoming Rocco's Modern Life Netflix movie, as are the guys from Studio MDHR, the two creators. They're also producers. So it has talent. It has hope. And the glimmer of hope for you that I found 
is they aren't saying what animation styles are doing yet, but they are saying they are, quote, keen to stay as far away from computer-assisted puppeteer animation as possible and are proud to be working with a creative team that really believes in the value of hand animation. So maybe that will help answer some questions, even though they won't actually say anything. Mm, that just says that they want what we want, but they don't know if they can deliver that. Somewhat. So but the problem is if, if they say that and then they come around and do Flash, then that looks then we, that then they, on their face. Then we know, or I guess then we're supposed to know that they're not to blame. No, I think mm-hmm. I think them saying this is... Is covering their butts. No, I would say it's the opposite. It's saying an expectation. If the expectation isn't made, it's going to make them look bad. It's covering, It's forcing Netflix to give them the money and the time. Mm. That's what it's doing. It's the other way. Well, In my opinion. But yeah, really, I think it's just Keeping like, expectations extremely low. <laughs> and if I'm surprised, that's great. Yeah, that's, I guess that's the way to do it. I, I do think it's just really impressive how far Cuphead has come. You know, like, it's an indie oh, game. It sold the heck out. <laughs> In a good way. You think? I mean, they, they sold 4 million copies. It's not like you could sell out when you're that big. No, I know. It just means, like, you know, most indie games just stay as, like, indie games. Not and Shovel then, Knight. <laughs> and then all, of, then all of a sudden you have, like, your own line of pops and you have teacups. I mean, kind of like how... Yeah. You know, th- what I mean so a lot is, like, you merchandise like crazy well yeah because you have a fan base and you have opportunity and it, 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 it's a delicate balance and this is something that Comic Con is very interesting about it's a delicate balance between are you selling out or are you you know keeping your fan base happy are you selling out or are you meeting demand from fans it's a really See, fine like, line I know it is a fine line because to me it kind of looks like they're cheapening the brand interesting now I would say for, I would agree for Funko Pops yes I think the teacup thing is actually really clever and a nice nod to the fans. No, oh, yeah, that one's fine. But yeah, like, yeah, just but the no, but I mean, it's not just Holly. They're kind of like anything you could think of. There's like a Cuphead version of it now. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like other games don't really go that far. Like Super Meat Boy or all, any of the McMillan games. Like they'll maybe make like one or two figures. To be fair, they don't sell four million copies. Get featured as an Xbox first party game and then show up on Switch with so much fanfare that you would think it's the biggest thing since sliced bread. Not even the first Meat Boy. It had fanfare, but I don't think it had quite the. Did Nintendo demo Meat Boy at conventions? They demoed Cuphead at PAX East. I think they did. Oh, maybe. But I mean, Meat Boy's big. I mean, that, I mean, that was also like a long true, time ago. True. I, mean, I, I think. I think the thing with Meat Boy is. Um, I mean, Meat Boy was also like all like wholly done by like just them. Like this got like a lot of backing from Microsoft because like they yeah. picked them up and like they pretty much like you know funded them. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I think the difference so, with Meat Boy is it was strictly independent. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was getting at. Um, but either way, yeah, it's kind of crazy to see it come this far. Yeah. It's all about cartoons, and now it's becoming a cartoon. Full circle. Um, but yeah, you know, besides that, unless you had any other thoughts on Cuphead, it seemed like you were about to say something. No. I was going to say, besides that, there were a couple other games that popped up in and around Comic-Con that I don't think we expected. Um, it didn't really draw too much attention ahead of time, but Capcom just randomly brought the first playable demo of Resident Evil 6 for the Switch to their booth. They didn't have it at E3. They didn't. I don't think they announced it via Comic-Con. It was just there with Resident Evil 5. They had two units dedicated to each. And it was... Uh, well, what did you think of it? I mean, we watched it for a couple of minutes. What did you think? It looked a little... I mean, as fun as I remember the game being, looking at it, at least in the specific... I mean, I remembered what part they were playing after watching them, but yeah. it kind of made me realize, like, wow, like, you can't tell this is like a Resident Evil game at all. Like, it literally looked like they were just playing Call of Duty. Like yeah. it was like two military people just like shooting at other people, ducking cover in like a old village, and then like things start to clear like oh okay there's like 
a monster around, but he's not like the main target in that in that period. You're actually fighting like the other people. Yeah, because Resident Evil Five, when we played it last month, felt and looked like Resident Evil. It was tight corridors, zombies. Like it was very. Well, still I mean, Resident but this Evil. this one is also this one tried to cater to everyone. Well, like, this one was the action p- game pivot, right? Kind of. Yeah. That's this like. is the punching boulders game, isn't it? No, that's the previous one. Five. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I thought six had the boulders. I mean, the boulder was just a one-time thing at the very end. Listen, it still happened. I know. And that's all <laughs> everyone talks about. But exactly. <laughs> this one, um, there are three campaigns. And each campaign was supposed to try to encapsulate a different Resident Evil-ness. Hmm. Like the Leon and other woman. I don't remember her name because she didn't appear in any other game that I recall. So um, not Claire. No, not clear. Otherwise, I don't remember. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so so Leon and woman, they're they have a they have a slower. Leonette, let's just call her Leonette. Who? Leonette, Leonette, Leon and Leonette. So Leon and Lisa, sure, were like their gameplay like is a lot slower. There's more, you know, jump scares. Like that one's a little closer to the original Resident Evil. Not that much, but I mean it's the closest. And then you have the Chris and Carl one, which. It's just straight up like military. So good with names. <laughs> like Call of Duty, run and gun, jump, kick people or whatever. Yeah. And then there's another one where you play as um, Rebecca and I forget his name, but he's Wesker's son. And that one is more like hand-to-hand combat, I you guess. Know, if this is a test, to... you would have gotten a 50%. That's, that's an F. Well, I feel like the game got enough for not making the other character memorable enough for me to remember fair, their name. Fair. So what was their two uh, thing? I cut you off. Sorry. That one's weird. It's like that one gives you the giant monster that you have to run away from, and it has, it's more hand-to-hand combat and combos, mm-hmm. which I guess they felt they needed a third direction to go. But I, I guess. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it was still a really, really fun co-op game. But you know, blah yeah. blah blah, Resident Evil, blah blah blah. What What do you think of how it runs on Switch? Uh, it looked a little choppy, but I mean, five, yeah. it's fine because when we played five, it didn't. Did you get that impression from five when we were playing five last month? A uh, little bit, but... I it mean, didn't see that noticeable. It didn't see as noticeable as when we were watching me. 6. It, it didn't bother me. Yeah. But Maybe because we were watching and not playing, so it didn't, we weren't as in it, so like things like frame rate jumped out more. Yeah. But uh, it, for those who want to experience three Resident Evil characters and three made-up ones journeys together through zombie fighting, um, we also now know that Resident Evil 5 and 6's uh, Switch ports are coming out on October 29th, which... Uh, I mean, Wesker's son literally sounds like something a network would come up with just to keep like a dying franchise going like oh let's introduce this other character it's like the sitcom thing you gotta introduce someone new around season 6 before things go off a cliff yep but uh, yeah and and he has a catchphrase I'm sure I don't know what it would be but I'm sure he has one let's do it to it that's what he would always say what is it let's do it to it let's do it to it okay I thought it would be something like some sort of virus reference like oh my T-virus or something I don't know anyway do it to it was better um, yeah, so what I was starting to say is they come out October 29th. And what's kind of interesting is you can actually get them in a three-pack along with Resident Evil 4 in what Capcom's calling the – very creative – Resident Evil triple pack. And it's going to be 60 bucks. You get a cartridge with Resident Evil 4, and then you get download codes for 5 and 6. So you're not really getting any sort of special deal, but it lets you have a box on your shelf, I guess. How big are these that. games and how big is The Witcher? Because, like, aren't you the one that told us that The Witcher is apparently going to fit in one game? I did tell us that. Um, yes, it will. They see, so CD Projekt Red is springing for the 32 gig cartridge. 
Nintendo makes a 32 gig cartridge. It costs more to get those to put your games on. Other companies, such as one that will not be named but is making a Resident Evil triple pack, um, have chosen, I think, to not do that. They are paying for the cheaper cartridge, and simultaneously, they are probably not optimizing the ports to be as condensed as possible, which it sounds like Project Red and their developer are doing. So that's why. They're cheaping out. It's a cheap port, is what I'm saying. But um, yeah, it's got that that week when it comes out. It's actually a pretty busy week for Switch because Nintendo confirmed that uh, Luigi's Mansion Three will indeed be out on Halloween, October thirty first, which I think everyone was kind of hoping for when they said the vague twenty nineteen date. Uh, but yeah, October thirty first, we have Luigi's Mansion. A couple days before that, we have uh, Resident Evil Five and Six, and then a few days before that. Actually, no, I take the back. Same day as Resident Evil 5 and 6, Sega is bringing back Super Monkey Ball. Um, so all those rumors and trademark filings, they were true. They panned out. But it's kind of like the monkey's paw of the Super Monkey Ball franchise because, yes, they're bringing back the game with a remake, as everyone, everyone's hoped for. But you got to be careful what you wish for because they're doing it with Banana Blitz, which is the version that launched alongside the Wii, for those who haven't kept up with all the different names. And... Um, I should say I haven't actually played Banana Blitz myself, so I don't know if it's good or bad. But the general consensus, at least I've been reading online among fans, is that this is one of the weaker entries in the series. Uh, it was built for the Wiimote, for motion controls. It swapped out five or six like super solid multiplayer games, you know, like Monkey Target, Monkey Fight, for 50-ish, much more shallow ones. Um, but here's the thing. like The reason it's happening, and everyone's like, "How? Oh, why? Why not 1 and 2? The reason it's happening is because it launched alongside the Switch, or sorry, the Wii, um, it went on to be the best-selling Monkey Ball in the franchise. It sold over a million copies. So in a weird way, it does actually make a ton of sense that Sega's bringing this one to the Switch, as much as I and probably every single Monkey Ball fan would prefer to remake of the first or the second, or both combined. So I do get that. And... With that in mind, I mean, have you? I don't remember. Besides Monkey Target, me, have you ever played a Monkey Ball? No. Okay. Just like demos. But so I'm cautiously optimistic about this one, and I'm hoping that the changes they're making are going to make it appealing, not just for Monkey Ball fans, but maybe as a really good entry point for people who don't know the franchise, because it is a good franchise. There's just tears to it, and um, in my dream world, we would have gotten Monkey Ball One. And I could just play the best version of Monkey Target anytime, anywhere, in HD, whenever I want. But it sounds like Sega is instead just going to try and prove Banana Blitz, uh, the shortcomings of Banana Blitz, and kind of run with it. So they're promising that the game's courses will be optimized for each current day platform's control schemes. Which I'm hoping means it will not require motion controls on Switch and can actually have buttons and be designed for button-based controls like prior entries because the thing with the motion control ones on banana blitz is they're a lot wider and they weren't as challenging as a result uh, so i'm hoping they fix that they're also adding in online leaderboards both for fastest times and single player stages uh, which are now dubbing a new time attack mode and a similar leaderboard for high scores in the new mini game decathlon mode which will let single player solo players actually go do the multiplayer games in some sort of structured way. It's not just going to be against computers. You're going to go through 10 of the mini games, see what your overall score is, and then post that online. And it's that specifics, it's those specifics about the decathlon that I'm most intrigued by. Because you may have noticed I said there are 10 of them. That's what decathlon means. Uh, that's less than the 50 or so in the original Banana Blitz. And it sounds like there will only 
be 10 of them included in this one. And based on interviews I was reading from like the dev team and uh, Famitsu, uh, my impression is these are going to be 10 different mini games than the ones that were in the first Banana Blitz. And if that's the case, I'm crossing my fingers it means a proper monkey target, it means a proper monkey race, a proper monkey fight. Like maybe they bring the fleshed out better mini games to Banana Blitz in lieu of the really, really shallow, boring ones. That's what I'm hoping. Um, that's what I want. And like honestly, even if Sega was just like, okay, we're going to release this like this, in the future, we'll have DLC that includes Monkey Target, I'd buy it day one. Like, I just want Monkey Target. I mean, I to be honest, I'm probably going to buy this either way. Like, it's a fun series. Wow. Um, it, it It's... Hey, I'm... I, there's some joke here about Monkey Balls, but I'm not going to make it. Well, look at you, Mr. High Society. I know. You know what the funny thing is, actually, about this? So, back in 2001, Super Monkey Ball came out three days before the GameCube on November 15, 2001. And then the GameCube with Luigi's Mansion came out on November 18, 2001. Now, in 2019, we're getting Super Monkey Ball three days before the next Luigi's Mansion. Kind of a funny little parallel. Totally, obviously, coincidence. But, <laughs> but yeah, see, hear that cackle? That was genuine and not was, fake in the least bit. No, it wasn't. It was genuine. That was genuine. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of a weird little parallel, that they're also three days apart. Weird and funny. Thanks. Thanks. But yeah, so I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful about Monkey Ball. I, I well, think... I hope it does well just so that people like you can get your monkey balls to get my jollies yeah yeah i think it has ultimately i mean that's what we want of every franchise to get our favorite ones i guess preserved or at least in a way that we could continue playing them if we choose to yeah like imagine monkey target with online leaderboards how amazing would that be i mean if only was it chibi robo whiplash or whip ziplash ziplash i did well i mean but yeah chibi robo is a weird one like Chibi Robo Let's to just me, the fate of this franchise on this game no one wants it's not even that no one wants it's, it's like level, progress, level progression was based on luck it's horrible wait what in Ziplash you don't remember that no are you thinking Ziplash or the photo game Ziplash Ziplash shape based on lo- oh you're you have, right you have to do it like had a, the randomizer yeah the you had like a spinner so it was did it actually not progress you I never ran into an issue where I had to oh wait I did this game's just totally outside our mind, but yeah, yeah see, because chi- it's a weird. So it's a weird. The photo one was probably like the closest one to a normal TV Robo, but yeah, and even then, and, well, that, and that's not saying much. That's what's weird about these smaller franchises, and it's why I think it makes sense to do Banana Blitz on some level. Is if you want, if you don't think your franchise has a chance, you have two routes you can go. You either double down on what it is and hope that you have success, and if not, that's it. Fire Emblem Awakening was that. Fire Emblem Awakening, if it didn't do well, Nintendo's going to not ever bring the games west again. It somehow did astronomically when well. Nintendo go to Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And now, But it did absolutely astronomically well to the point that we now have three houses coming out next week, right? Um, but then, like, Chibi Robo, I guess they gave it a few tries. They had three. They never really caught on, but they liked the character. So, like, well, what if we can introduce the character of people in a different way and then sort of parlay that into a proper game again, I think was the idea. You know why I just realized? You know why Fire Emblem did well? Because they did that. They took the characters of Fire Emblem and put them in Smash Bros. They made them popular in Smash Bros. And people are like, what are these games? And when it came out on 3DS with Awakening, they circled back and they're like, oh, these are these games. So, basically, what I'm saying is Chibi Robo for Smash. That's how we solved that problem. Ai or Gon Gon or Baby or Mimi 
those are the monkey ball characters for Smash. What's up with Three Houses, by the way, though? Like, the general air that I'm getting around the game is, like, who cares? I have that opinion, it's, too. It's almost like we've got an, um... Like it's kind of over Fire Emblem. Like, I feel like it started turning around, um... Whatever it was called, Two Hearts, Hearts, um, Fates. No, not even... The, the one with Fire Emblem Fates, yeah. That what it was called? Or, no, uh, they had Fire Emblem Fates, and they had three versions. They had Fire Emblem Echoes, which was a throwback to Fire Emblem 2. That one, I feel like people still cared for the most part. The one after that. The one, Fates. um... The one with the... Fates. I guess it's that one? Fates. The one with the two versions and the third story at the end, yeah. Fates. I, I, I don't think that's... Fate. The... Maybe no S. Did it have a third version? I'm missing... Yeah, well, it, so you could buy two versions, and you could download the third story as DLC, and it completed and connected Are you thinking the other of the, two. Is that what the Corrin one was called? Yeah, it's called Fire Emblem Fates. I'm looking it up right oh, now. Oh, then that's not the one I'm thinking of. Oh, I don't know if it's Corrin. Uh, I'm thinking of the one with the dude. I'm with, looking. The dude with the blue hair, and then there was like some other girl, and they each had their own amiibo. Your Fire Emblem Fates Revelations. If I, no, that's Echoes. Echoes. So that's how you're thinking. Yeah, of no, Echoes is the Echoes is the throwback one, and Fates is the. That's how I was thinking of the Echoes one. one. Echoes did. A, I liked Echoes. No, Echoes actually Fates changed came the out first, and then right. Echoes. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, why I was uh, confused when you said it the other way around. No, that's why I feel like around Echoes is like when. People Echoes did okay. Uh, yeah, but exactly. Yeah. Well, I, the Echo... The thing That's when Echoes, it starts to, like, Peter off and be like, this is a lot of Fire Emblem. Well, the problem is Nintendo... Need a good break. Yeah, Nintendo went in hard. Like, they're just like, hey, so Warriors you like Awakening? And... Yeah, and I, and here's the thing about... So Echoes, I think, the, the the tepid response was more logical because it was a remake. Granted, it was one America's never seen, but it wasn't, like, current Fire Emblem. It was throwback in a lot of ways. It was a simpler battle, battle system... They uh they did the thing where you could actually walk around as the characters in third person and like dungeons, which was I actually thought really cool. Um but yeah, that was the last of those and then Fire Emblem Heroes came out on smartphones and Fire Emblem Heroes is still a massive game for Nintendo. It's made like a billion or no, not a billion. It's made millions upon millions of dollars. It might have passed a billion recently. So that one's still like making a ton of money. So Fire Emblem as a brand is still big. But there is something about three houses that I can't put my finger on, but even I don't have an interest in it. Like, we barely talk about it on the show, and I don't really know what it is. I feel like... I feel like the Harry Potter thing with the school might actually be part of the problem. They've only been marketing that. Now, um, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you five seconds to skip this if you guys don't want spoilers. That school thing is only in the first couple hours of the game, and then it immediately breaks out of that. But they're only marketing it by the school thing. End spoiler. So I don't know, like, my point is I don't know, you know, given that, I don't know if people are putting too much weight on the school thing or what, or if, like, people aren't don't like that, but, or if people are just, or if we're just out of the loop, because, like, I don't seem to care very much. Like, are you getting that impression because we haven't talked about it or because you just haven't heard in the, like, the zeitgeist? Just mainly from the zeitgeist because I didn't really care since Revelations. Okay, yeah. But Revelations. The first one? The 3DS one? Awakening. Awakening, exactly. <laughs> well, you weren't a big Fire Emblem guy to begin with, so... That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah like, no, like, it, like yeah. obviously it wasn't oh, my yeah, own yeah. personal thing. It's just that... Right, you're saying in general. I, yeah, because I follow plenty of people, or, like, I watch a few videos of people that, you know, like, really love the Fire Emblem games. Sometimes they and would, like, quiet. do a lot of yeah. videos or they'll stream stuff, but even those people have been, like, kind of quieter. I've been kind of like, eh. I feel like I've had more... I've seen more activity around Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, to be honest. Now, partly that's because we were at Comic Con, where it was everywhere. It was Nintendo's entire booth. But yeah, and, and you know what part of it is? You know, you know what I think part of it is? They haven't been demoing it anywhere. There was no Fire Emblem at E3. There was no Fire Emblem at Comic Con. It was just kind of 
I mean, it's a hard game to demo. I get that, but it's just kind of like it's like the equivalent of when there. a movie studio doesn't put out a pre-screening for critics before the movie. Well, comes I don't out. know because like the reviews, the reviews the went, do well. To be honest, the reviews aren't gonna hit till probably next week. But I yeah, I don't know. It's really weird. Like, and I don't know how much of it is just the Fire Emblem fan base is gonna go crazy, but no one else. Or like, I don't know what it is. It's it's really hard to read, but. I do agree it seems quieter around this Fire Emblem than others. I think Nintendo stuffing their fall, some games are going to take a hit as a result. I think Fire Emblem could potentially be one of them. It's hard to say. But, um, yeah, the lack of Fire Emblem just at Con-Con at all is kind of weird, given that's out. Like, they had no swag. They had no nothing. It was very, very weird. But, um, actually, now I think about it, the other thing that's kind of weird at Con-Con, there was no Splatoon, really. They had the keychains for the final Splatfest. I mentioned that earlier. But I kind of thought they are going to give the final Splatfest a bigger push. Like, I remember back in Splatoon's Prime, they did this whole elaborate thing on the show floor at their booth where they let people... They had the booth split between the two Splatfest op- options back-to-back, and they let people participate in the Splatfest, and then they uploaded all the results in real time to the Splatfest. The, the, all the demo units were hooked in to the servers. So you were actually able to partake in the Splatfest at Comic-Con, which is a really cool way to promote the game. And I feel like for this Splatfest, that was a missed opportunity because, like, they're doing so much to promote it. They have, the, I, mean, I guess, the keychains, but they're also selling the shirts at store.intel.com of each team. They had, like, the Tetris 99 Maximus Cup tie-in with the Splatoon theme to unlock. Like, it just seems like it would have been a cool, nice send-off final thing if they did a physical Splatfest event at Comic-Con. Especially since, like, the game isn't dead. There's no Splatfest, but online's gonna live on. People can still organize tournaments. Like it's not like it's the end of Splatoon. It's just the end of Splatfest. So it seems very weird that Nintendo didn't jump on it. Very weird. Yeah, I mean, I will say that, and this is kind of a tangent, but I am happy with what Nintendo's doing with Tetris 99. Like I mentioned, the Maximus Cup. Like I really like what Nintendo's doing with Tetris 99. Part of this is because I'm still very much obsessed with the game. I mean, I for that last Maximus Cup, I played for over three hours straight of just Whoa. Tetris, which is a lot for Tetris if you think about it. That's a lot of Tetris. So, you know, announcements like the inclusion of um, two offline multiplayer modes as free updates to the Big Block DLC. Like, that's exciting to me. There's going to be two of them. One supports eight players. One will be two players, each with a Joy-Con competing together, I believe, in the actual Tetris 99 online. So, like, that's cool. That's really cool to me. But beyond that, I just find it, like, the entire strategy of how they're rolling out this game is just really fascinating to me. Like, because, you know, back in February... It's basically a value add for the Switch Online service for subscribers. So, like, you know, they're basically like, here's this wacky riff on Tetris. It's kind of a battle royale. Have at it. We'll see what happens. But then because it became such a big success, it seems like Nintendo's now trying to make Switch Online the value add for Tetris 99 instead of Tetris 99 being the value add for Switch Online. So it's more like a traditional game now. So in September, they're actually going to be releasing a physical copy of the game that comes bundled with a one-year Switch Online subscription, kind of like they're doing with Mario Maker 2. And it'll cost 30 bucks, which isn't bad. And it, it's just interesting to me to see how they're basically trying to play both sides of this now. Like, I, I doubt they'll ever share the data, but I'm, I'd am i be curious which approach actually does better for them overall. Like, this is probably the, the closer to probably come to knowing how well it does or did is if we see other games first roll out as Switch Online exclusive experiences and then be fleshed out with further content for offline play. Because that was interesting. Nintendo's never done that before. And if, you know, if Tetris sells well physically after, 
I honestly, it sounds extreme. I would not be surprised if once Splatoon 3 is ready, if they roll out multiplayer Splatoon 3 as a free Switch Online thing and then fill it in with content as time goes on until they have a physical package. That's essentially what they do with Splatoon 1. You just bought the game up front. It's like if they did that and then you buy it piecemeal, I could see that working. Or like maybe maybe a more realistic level one is like, maybe they do like a new multiplayer first Excite Bike or something. Like how they did Excite Bike World, World Rally on the Wii, on, uh, yeah, on the Wii back in the day in WiiWare. Like that'd be oh, kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, because basically like what Tetris 99 was and what I think Nintendo could do more of is it's a it's the idea of a mobile free-to-start model but it's adapted for a subscription service and it doesn't have a gotcha mechanics. So it has all the upsides of a free-to-start with none of the downsides and then they just flush it out over time. Like would you – I mean I, I think that has some potential. Would you prefer to just get all your games at once or do you want – like because they've done this with ARMS too where like they kind of trickle it out. But why not just make it free and then once they hit a certain content threshold, then you just buy the rest. Like would that be – do you think – people would respond better to that than the whole like here's arms but we only have five characters we'll get the rest in later situations I guess so it makes it easier to justify the upfront cost because yeah. then you don't go in feeling this game feels shallow yeah it, it's almost like a beta test merged into a release combined with then the final release yeah I feel like that literally gets rid of a lot of the stigma that comes with these kinds of releases with that also in your mind I feel like I'm like interrogating you on like a witness stand I don't know I why I really don't like it but I'm sorry um, Angel uh-huh. where were you Thursday at 9pm last week I know where you were because I'm the prosecutor I don't remember the bacon party on the yacht at Comic Con and why'd you ask because you not remembering jurors pay attention see where anyway no the thing i was gonna get at is um or the question i was gonna ask you what was the question i got so caught up in my dumb little game here um yeah what was i gonna say it was something about the idea of like rolling it out this way oh yeah the other thing is like would you be motivated would this motivate you to actually keep a switch online subscription going besides just like you know let's say you're over smash god forbid you're somehow over smash if they're like, oh yeah, you'll get first dibs on all these games before they like fully come out, would that be enough to entice you to switch online? Because that's a huge value add that's different from any other online service, in my opinion. No. Really? The only thing motivating to keep my switch online is just playing with friends. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like that's like literally it. So you so they could take away NES online, they could take away all the perks and just you'd pay twenty bucks just to be able to play with friends. And you wouldn't find that a rip off, even though when I mean, it launched I'd, you did find that a rip off. I mean I still would. You, I do it begrudgingly do it because because there's no other choice. Would you be less begrudged if they were doing stuff like this? Like this one. I mean, I'm already a little. I mean, I'm still begrudged, but less slightly so. yes, because because they're offering other stuff, but it still right. sucks. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I really don't care if they take away the NAS games. If anything, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I guess but, what I'm saying so, is like so. It's to me, I guess this wouldn't add neither add nor take away. Interesting, because I think that the thing we were saying when it first launched, and then Nintendo admitted they need to do, is they need to add additional motivators to get you to do Switch Online. I feel like some sort of like well, still first waiting dibs. for a motivator then. Well, that's but first dibs on games when I do it. No, interesting, interesting. I bet for a lot of people it would. First dibs, it would for me. In the past, maybe, but I don't know. I'm a much more patient person nowadays. Like I could care less about playing a game first now, and right. I could just wait for it to be done and then get it. Yeah, but at least it does resolve the issue of consume- shallow releases. Like unless it's like uh unless it's something animated and even then like unless it's something very specific, I'm okay letting most seasons or series end completely before like I'll start watching them. That way I don't have to wait for any content. Interesting. So. 
Interesting. So yeah, like so. So even a situation like Arms or Splatoon one or two, you would still not even. Yeah. Like if they do it through this or if they do it on their own, you still just wait till all the DLCs done. It sounds like. I mean, like I test it out, and that's it. Just depends. Like, yeah. If it's like an okay, I just probably just go back to Smash or whatever. Right. Right. If it's like this amazing thing, then I mean, who knows? Yeah. But it's hard to say without concrete. But but it's not gonna. But saying anything before that, it's not gonna make me swing one way or the other. I guess. Right. Right. Because it could go either way. Like Tetris was kind of like, well, I already have Puyo Puyo Tetris. I don't really care. See, I'm obs- I I have Puyo Puyo too, and I love. I mean, Tetris, Tetris 99, 99 was fun, but I'm still I mean, playing. I mean, it's kind of an afterthought for me now. See, it's still front and center for me. That's what's so interesting. That's why I'm saying like I played it Man, for you three must be hours. A pro now. I'm not actually, actually. Be teeth spinning now or what? No, but then, but well, I at least got you're having there fun. was a That's streak. See, those three hours I was playing, where where you weren't impressed by how long that was, only to admit that you never played Touch Nine Nine, which should make the fact that I played for three hours say something. Um, the yeah, hours is nothing to gamers. But Tetris through three hours. There was a but the point any, is no, it's any game. There was any a game. point. There the there was a point during those Don't three hours. Tetris there down. was a point during those three hours where I was consistently in the top fifteen for like six straight matches. So I'm getting better. Or I got paired with people that were really bad. I don't know. But I like to think one day I'll get number one. The highest I've ever gotten is I think it will. eighth. I mean, I don't know how it pairs people, but I like to think it pairs people with similar skill sets. It's based on so... level because you level up as you go. So, the problem is, as I level up, it's not because I'm getting better. I don't think. I think it's just because I play it so much that gives me the tiniest experience points, and then slowly stacks. I mean, experience is still experience. As long as you're getting something from the experience, that's all that matters. That's true. That's and true. I hope you are. I I like to think so. I I mean, I got the Splatoon skin. I got that, and the Game Boy one. Oh, I didn't even know there was a Splatoon skin. <laughs> yeah, they did a whole the Maximus Cup for Splatoon Splatfest. That's what I was talking about before. But anyway, while we're on the topic of interesting, weird, fascinating, different strategies for Nintendo, let's switch gears a bit, no pun intended, and talk about that other thing that happened since our last episode, the Switch Lite. Um, it's real. It actually happened, and ironically, the announcement was made the day after our last episode, where I went on a whole rant about how strange it is that Nintendo hasn't announced it yet. So... Mm-hmm. Clearly, what happened? And I was like, "Let's be patient." And, and I'm like, "No, no." Here's and my cl- patience paid off. Here's clearly what happened. They listened to our podcast as soon as it went live. They told their marketing team they gotta hurry up, and then they got the news out asap to appease me and me alone. Because you're like, "No, patience is a virtue." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And Nintendo's like, "Oh God, Jason's mad." And then here we are. We have the switch light. There's literally no other explanation for the timing so none whatsoever ask them it where the, all because of me and me alone ask them where the SNES games are on Switch Nintendo listen we know they're coming you've hinted at it bring us the SNES games they'll be out by Monday Thank there you. you go really appreciate uh, it yeah anytime man uh, but, that will motivate me right okay but, anything after NES will motivate me to keep a subscription going 64 of course yes having a, what game would you want what would be like the go to um I would hope they would have the banjo. They must equally, you know, given. But I mean, mainly, you know, all the multiplayer games. I want Mario Parties one, two, and three. I want Smash sixty four because that will make it easier to play with, you know, like friends and family. Yep. Mario Kart sixty four, um, Pokemon Stadium one and two. Not for the battling part, but just the for mini the games. games. Yes, exactly. Scyther saws. All of them. Look at Tongue Sushi. A, a lot of them are just really fun. They're all really and, fun. You know, like there's just so many good N sixty four like party games. That yeah. Even like. The old school bomber, like the N64 Bomberman or Bomberman Hero. If yeah. you want some single player content too. Yeah, I remember that. 
single player was pretty fun. But... Tetrisphere. While we're talking about Tetris games, did you ever play Tetrisphere? I know you've talked about it. Uh, I talked about, about once. <laughs> I talked about, about once every two years. Yeah. And we've been going for how many years now? Uh, eight. So I've talked about it four times. Oh wait, we're due. Well, let me tell you about Tetrisphere. No, it's it's great though. That that would be a great uh, like hidden gem to bring back on. Yeah. So those two platforms, bring them here. And also Game Boy Advance. You know, everything that they haven't really everything. done. Everything. Nintendo, even, guys, I mean, just I, I, everything. I've come to accept that they're never going to do GameCube and just like slowly remaster the games they don't yeah. really want. So, yeah. yeah. Like Super Monkey Ball and Amblitz, which is Sega, but my point still stands. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what we were talking about, or what we were getting at, is that Nintendo announced the Switch Lite. And it's essentially what we already knew from the earlier reports and rumors. This is a Switch stripped of some features to make it cheaper. The MSRP is only 200 bucks instead of 300 bucks. Uh, it's more durable. The Joy-Cons are out. They're replaced by controls attached to the main unit. The HD Rumble feature is out. The NFC chip under the left control stick, which you use to scan Amiibo, that is out. The IR reader is out. The ability to use it with Nintendo Labo is out. The kickstand for tabletop mode is out. And somewhat surprisingly, one I don't think we necessarily saw coming, any support whatsoever for TV mode is out that one i was actually really surprised by yeah i thought at the very least like all right it's not going to come with the dock fair enough that's an easy way to like take off like 80 bucks or whatever but yeah it's not there and i thought it was going to be an easy no-brainer solution for like some people that i know it's like oh cool that they're waiting to get a switch at a cheaper price this could have been it they wouldn't mind having the dock or whatever but now they can't do that. It's literally a switch that doesn't switch. So it, well, Yeah, it won't support existing docks in any way, shape, or form. The USB-C slot that it has does not work with any dongle or any extension. There's no way to make it play with the, play with the dock, like the actual switching mechanic, as you put it. Uh, you know, you say it's a switch that doesn't switch. There's some article I saw that says it's, called, it's like the Swont <laughs> or something, <laughs> which I really want to call it's, it now. It's cr- the Swont. It's really, I don't know, it's baffling, but I guess it also isn't. Because, I mean... If you want a Switch console, I mean, you have it. It's literally there, and yeah. you can customize it all you want. Like, I can't wait to get those purple-orange Joy-Cons right, right. and hope they sell them in reverse so that I could have a full orange or full they, purple. They will not. But, or maybe they will in another country, and I'll just have to do that. That could work. You can import. But, yeah, I th- yeah it's kind of unfortunate. Cause, it does. But at the same time, a lot of people would, well, like, I don't know. I remember talking to you about this a while ago and that like some data show that people literally only played in handheld mode Correct. and it's hard for me to picture this as a dedicated handheld because I mainly play it on my TV. I know there are people that don't use it that way but for me it's like this is a console but I guess if you really only want a handheld well, it, then that's it's, perfect. It's to my point I was making earlier about when I was pl- building the Mario Maker level with Kit and Krista and them and I was like didn't know what to do in TV mode because I only played Mario Maker in handheld mode like 80% of my gaming on Switch is handheld mode. I'll do the big I mean, game. I'll like, do Odyssey. This is the Vita Perfect that I guess. I'll do. It really is. I mean, you know, if you search, it's funny, Warrior64 on Twitter, you know, the guy with all the deals. He tweeted a screenshot. He searched Switch Lite on GameStop's website and it all corrected to Switch Life. And as you may recall, Vita means life. So it is the PlayStation Vita. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think like, like Mario and Zelda, I'll do it on TV, but a ton of stuff I will play. Like even Smash Bros. When I'm here playing with you guys or Switch play- to go. It basically is, but when I'm here, like um, playing Smash with you guys or whatever, I'll play on TV. But if I'm playing at home, I'll just sit on my couch with it in handheld mode. What a weirdo! I'm so weird. But there's apparently a market for this. But I think what's surprising to me is that like like this is an extreme of not playing it. Like I get not providing a dock, but it seems nice if you have one to be able to leverage it. It's just odd. But what what Switch does offer, what Switch Lite does offer, is more 20... power. No. More battery life. Yes. 
20 to 30% better battery life than the existing Switch. It has a more compact design with a 5.5 inch screen instead of a 6.2 inch automatic screen. Light dimming? Uh, no, it has now manual. Uh, the current Switch is automatic. This one, I don't, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, the current one, one well, the current one has auto. I think brightness. Oh, I guess it does. That's yeah, it cool. does. And <laughs> this new one will have a manual brightness control through the menu, meaning the light, the switch light, literally has a light switch. Meaning all my jokes about calling it the light switch for months on the podcast have actually paid off and are now grounded, ha, huh, in reality. So there's that. But somewhat surprisingly, the real, the thing that I'm actually most surprised is on there is an actual functional, real D-pad. Because without the need to have two Joy-Cons that can be used interchangeably for multiplayer, Nintendo doesn't need to make a concession and not have a D-pad. So there it is in all its glory. Under the left control stick, you got a D-pad on a Switch. And it's kind of rekindled my hope for a proper D-pad Joy-Con release sometime in the future. Because like the face buttons are fine, but after playing a game like Mario Maker 2, again, mostly in handheld, it, it really isn't the same using those four face buttons as having like a tried-and-true D-pad. It works. It's doable. But I would just love an actual Joy-Con with a D-pad. And so far, Nintendo's only statement is they have nothing to announce. But at the very least, I think it'd be interesting if they allowed you to sync a Switch Lite as a controller to a docked regular Switch. Like in households where the Lite will mean they're now... the gamepad like a Wii U so we could have Nintendo Land games? I mean, if you can sync a Joy-Con or 8... Why can't you sync a Switch Lite? And you can do like a Nintendo Land sequel. You can do a Four Swords remake like of the GameCube one. Connectivity can live on. But here, the, the reason I bring this up is because like there's going to be households with multiple Switches. Because you know someone's going to buy a Lite. They're going to have a central Switch and the kids will have lights or whatever. And it'll let folks use the D-pad as an option should they want it. Um, like right now the closest way to do this is if you have a my nintendo account on two different switches the light and the regular you can use cloud saves to literally jump back and forth between them which nintendo is fully important uh endorsing people to do like they have a support page on the switch light site about how easy it is Hmm. to have your game switching back and forth between your switches if you have multiple because hey do that and you can now sell multiple switches to single households which as you may recall the idea of having households have multiple switches was a goal from back in the Tatsumi Kimishima days when he was still president of Nintendo. So they are fulfilling that. But, um, yeah, I would just, I think it would just be nice if they let you use the D-pad. I mean, it's honestly, being able to switch between your switches with cloud saving is better than my weird syncing controllers idea. Like, you know, playing a switch with a switch light's odd, I get that. But since this thing is handheld only, it does mean that um, you are losing out on some control options. So the sync could work both ways. I mean, because you don't have motion control and you don't have IR blaster or anything like that, which means games that require motion control or IR blasters won't work with the Switch Lite. So you kind of need it to go the other way too if you if Nintendo were to do this crazy thing or, again, if they use their cloud solution, which they're saying is what you should do. Um, now, Nintendo doesn't actually anticipate this issue of motion control is causing too, causing too much problem because the back of every switch box since launch already lists the modes of play supported like people just need to double check if so handheld modes, modes on that plays. list yeah because you know handheld tabletop tv they always have all those on there so as long as your game says handheld you're good and on the eShop, they'll be adding a warning screen should you try and buy a game digitally that will tell you oh the switch light doesn't support the controls of this game do you want to continue 
Um, which automatically, in my mind, put Switch Lite in a better position than when Nintendo first rolled out the strip down 2DS and had to explain the concept of here's 3D games without 3D. Uh, here, the idea of like a handheld mode, a handheld Switch, is already established in the mind of most Switch enthusiasts and consumers. So it should be an easier transition, I hope. Um, but they did go on to say that if you really want to play those games or use those modes, you can still wirelessly sync additional controllers to your Switch Lite. Which is fine and dandy, except if you don't have tabletop or TV modes on your Switch Lite, how are you supposed to hold all the things? Hmm. Like, the Switch Lite is smaller than a Switch, but it still requires two hands. So, what do you do? Because individual motion-controlled controllers also require hands. So, do you, like have to be an octopus are you machamp do you just have big buff arms all holding different controls like i honestly don't understand what nintendo like yeah just you can still sync your motion controls but how do you then play do you have to like get like a thing that holds your switch in front do you get like one of those carrots on a stick for horses but put the switch on the end and then play it that way like i really don't understand what they're thinking is but that's just a weird oddity if you if you actually like take a step back and look at the bigger picture like ignoring the control options ignoring the syncing or how it won't sync or how it will sync it's really just an interesting product, the Switch Lite, in my opinion. Like, going into it, when it was only rumored, I think the thinking was that would be it would be a thing for kids. It's more durable because it's all one unit. It's cheaper. It's focused on only handheld play. But it turns out, it looks like Nintendo's actually shooting for much more than that. Like, if you look at the reveal video, there's not a kid or, t- or tween to be seen anywhere in it. Unlike in the 2DS marketing from day one, where it was always kids and tweens. Instead, you got all these like hip, older-looking people playing alongside their same-age friends who have regular switches. And if you look at the design of the system, it's not like a giant block like the original 2DS's like doorstop of a design was. Nintendo seems to have learned from how the new 2DS XL has sold and reached a broader audience than the chunky original 2DS, and they actually made the Switch Lite look nice. It looks sleek. It, it you know, like the hands-on reports I've been reading, it's using the exact same plastics as the 2DS XL, and it looks design-wise very much like an original Switch. It's just slightly mm-hmm. smaller. 2DS was very comfy to hold. Good the, at that. Yes, it was comfy to hold, but it was the weirdest design to have probably ever yeah, done. Yeah, it was really weird to look And at. there's no way that someone older than 12 would feel comfortable playing that. I Those mean, Omega, Ruby, and... Yeah. Um, I guess Alpha Sapphire ones are pretty dope. They were cool. And they are doing a Pokemon one for this one, too. Yeah, which also looks neat. It does. Um, but yeah, all, all these things I'm saying about the design and how the videos had older people, all that to me points to Nintendo having higher aspirations for a Switch Lite than just the kids market and part of this is probably because they realize there's a huge chunk of 3DS owners they could appeal to because data recently came out that only 24% of 3DS owners in the United States have a Switch that means there's 76% of 3DS owners who could be upgraded to the Switch ecosystem but for one reason or another have not yet and according to an interview I was doing with Doug Bowser Nintendo's president, Nintendo America's president um, he cited your exact metric you were saying before, that Nintendo's own internal data shows that a lot of people will stick to a single mode of Switch play. You do TV, I do handheld, but they're, you know, they're pretty set in their ways. And that means that if even a half or a third of that 76% of those 3DS owners who haven't yet upgraded are like, oh, I only play handheld, that's a lot of people where a $200 sweet spot for a handheld-only Switch could be extremely appealing regardless of age. Because $200, that's the sweet spot Nintendo's been using in the past for 3DS sales. 
for Game Boy Advance back in the day, for I mean for DS back in the day, for three for DS XL. Like they know that that price point works for a handheld only device, and they know there's a chunk of people that only play handheld, and they know there's a chunk of people who own a handheld would pay that device but have not jumped to Switch. So we were always talking about like, oh, it's for kids, it's for kids, it's for kids, but it seems like it is not at all for kids. It's for anyone that just wants a handheld. There's making it a kid friendly design that doesn't look kiddy. So it's an interesting like uh, it's like an interesting Venn diagram they're building, opposed to just the one audience we thought might be going to. And what's also kind of interesting is Nintendo's also going to sell the 3DS alongside the Switch Lite. So while for all intents and purposes you could argue the Switch Lite is set to become their new handheld, and again you know most Nintendo handhelds start at 200, so this is in line with that. Um, even with that, they've still got this entry level device to essentially you know essentially indoctrinate the youngins and then have them upgrade to say a snazzy new switch light in one of those snazzy new colors or maybe even all the way to a switch if they want a console too so like it's it's they have a whole pipeline they can send people through they can add them to the cult very easily um actually speaking of the colors what do you think of the colors i really like the colors they're neat yeah so um, there's the yellow is nice um what are the what's the other it, one there's yellow and turquoise and then there's gray the grays, whatever. The yellow and turquoise are nice little, in my opinion, I think they're nods to the Game Boy Color colors. They're slightly more pastel versions of this, equally more pastelified versions of the bright turquoise and bright yellow of the Game Boy Color. I think they're just different. They yeah. just stand out from any other colors that I've ever seen any console in, so yeah. they're cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, they do look nice. And then we also have that Pokemon one I coming. I am positive people will enjoy this. My, I really like the turquoise one positive what was that pun on nothing oh uh, you just said like it's a pun <laughs> yeah <laughs> i agree that it will be wonderful that's not a reference to anything either um but yeah it's i, I guess um what i'm getting at here is that like yes the 3ds sorry not the 3ds the switch light where did i get 3ds the the switch light is 100 percent 2ds of the switch line but unlike the 2DS, Nintendo seems to have the broader audience in mind, and that's cool. And they seem to have so much faith in that potential new audience that they're even bringing some of the Switch Lite's improvements over to the regular Switch before the light even comes out. So next month, the regular Switch, the one with the Joy-Cons and the IR and the things of that nature, that's going to be getting the improved chip that the light uses for better battery life. It's actually going to be even better battery life than the Switch Lite, which already has better battery life. We're talking 4.5 to 9 hours on the new regular Switch versus 3 to 7 hours on the new Switch Lite versus 2.5 to 6.5 with the original, original Switch. So even if you're an existing Switch owner who may want the better battery, now you have the ability to keep doing everything you do with your current Switch. You have all the same core features, like the actual switching idea, but with the battery of the Switch Lite. And because the Switch is bigger, it's an even better battery. So it's a very interesting strategy. It's not like this is the hot new Switch. They're literally making complementary devices, which they kind of did with 2DS, but this seemed even more so. I mean, have you actually had an issue with the battery on the Switch? Because now I think about it, I rarely have had instances where I'm like, oh, the battery life sucks. Never where I've said the battery life sucks. I mean, I've had it run out on me once or twice, the few times I've taken it out. Mm-hmm. But we never really Oh, yeah, you like... mostly do TVs. So yeah, exactly. Like... So... Something that's like, oh, that's right, it can run out of battery. Yeah, but it's just like, like I think the battery improvements are really great, but I'm not like chomping at the bit to like try and get a battery upgrade to mine because like I haven't really had a problem. It I lasts mean, a full flight across the country. What more can I ask? 
Yeah. And there's but, always battery packs and whatever, so, you know. Yeah. And I, I do think the whole battery situation is perhaps the strongest demonstration that, like, the Switch Lite is not a new Switch in the way, say, a DS Lite was a new DS. It is, like I was saying before, a companion device, which immediately alleviates any fears in people's minds, I would argue, that developers may start making games that don't run better in dock mode or don't support motion controls or whatever. Because, like, ultimately, you could have the light being the dominant switch in terms of sales. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. There's a huge untapped market here. But if Nintendo's going to keep the flagship regular model up-to-date spec-wise and insist that it's the baseline, as Doug Bowser claimed in a time interview they plan to do, it's going to be very hard for devs to not develop with the full feature set of Switch in mind. Because I saw a lot of complaints before the revamped regular Switch was announced with the new battery. A lot of people were like, oh, no, does this mean, like devs are going to give up on features because oh is Nintendo saying HR, uh, HD Rumble's dead is Nintendo saying motion control's dead no because you still have the better switch for $100 more and that's still being sold side by side so that also should alleviate that fear which mm. is which it's really interesting because Nintendo's never quite done this in this way so it's it's a double iter- iteration there's still no switch pro but you know it's that's to come that's going to be the next one that's going to be the new baseline probably in a year but I think at least from my perspective, or maybe the craziest part about this is that Nintendo's doing all these changes while the Switch is already riding so high. Like, we haven't talked about the last couple months of MPD sales numbers here on the show due to our coverage of E3 and the like, but the Switch hardware has continued to be in the number one spot for months. The number just came out for June, and Nintendo not only had the number one console, the Switch, but also dominated the software side with Super Mario Maker 2 being the top-selling game here in the U.S., uh, it actually had the biggest debut of any entry in the Mario Maker series thus far. And, th- you know, that kind of explains how on back on July 9th, I think, Mar- uh, Nintendo announced that Mario Maker 2 is already made. People have already uploaded over 2 million courses to Mario Maker 2, which is like, that's a lot. And they're like, oh, it's the best-selling Mario Maker ever. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and that was, you know, like I said, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so it's probably gotten significantly higher since then. But beyond that, you know, like Smash continues to sell well. It's in the number six spot. Mario Kart 8's in the number nine spot. So they have games that are chugging along. Um, actually, just as a side about June, because you might be interested in this, Angel. Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. Really solid month. Number two game on the chart overall, but the single biggest debut of any Crash Bandicoot game ever. Wow. Yeah. Obviously, the majority of it was on PS4. Over a million sold on PS4. Makes but I've sense. seen numbers that the Switch version, these are worldwide now I'm talking about, the Switch version has sold over 200,000 copies, which is pretty respectable, all things considered. So, um, yeah, so go crash. But back on the Nintendo side of things, I can't stress enough how much like momentum the Switch has right now without even needing the Switch Lite. Like I said, you know, in June it was number one. Really? But had... Over two years in it has momentum? Yeah, no, it's crazy because, like, you know, I was saying in June, it was number one, but it also had the number one game with Mario Maker 2. But in May, it was number one, and it didn't even have a game. There was no game in May that was released to make it number one here in the U.S. And yet, it was still number one off of legacy content, off Smash Bros., oddly enough, also being a number, the number six spot last month. So it's, you know, it's doing great. And now imagine Nintendo releasing the Switch Lite on top of this momentum, on top of situations like the Switch already being you know the most searched item on amazon prime day before even the light was announced on top of the fact that nintendo's handhelds in the 200 dollars price range always do incredibly well like you can see why the switch light actually is a really big deal and why analysts are calling it things like a mega hit and why nintendo's stock immediately rose to a nine-month high when it was announced i mean even michael pactor 
the analyst at Webb Bush used to have a show at he Game still Trailers. Does stuff? He still does stuff. He doesn't have a show on Game Trailers anymore. He's very doom and gloom about Nintendo, and even he said it's the right product at the right time. Like there is huge potential here. It's gonna be big. It's gonna be big, and it it, it looks really nice. Huge potential. Yeah, it. This is gonna be a very very big deal. And also the fact that they're doing like the Pokemon Special Edition makes me realize they're gonna milk this thing like they did the 3S. There gonna be so many variants of this thing. Like you know, doing the interesting cards like turquoise and yellow, or just kind of yellow, or just kind of hinting at all sorts of fun colors they're gonna do down the line. They're probably gonna do one every Black Friday. Probably gonna do special editions for different games. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of Switch light out there. Probably gonna become the dominant form in the same way the DS light out sold the DS, even though they're this isn't a successor in the same way. But you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, that's the Switch light. <laughs> Any thoughts that I didn't think of? Anything you want to add? I think you just about thought of everything a normal person could think of. I think I exceeded what a normal person could think of. I clearly am obsessive. Um, now, if only I could be as obsessive about the other hardware news for Nintendo, which wasn't as good. Uh-oh. The Joy-Con drift situation. Um, for us in the Nintendo enthusiast circles, it's been a known problem for a while. But, man, it really blew up in the mainstream just these past couple weeks. And, I mean, I guess for good reason. It's become a worse and worse problem. Nintendo barely addressed it until recently. And, like, it was just, it's a weird situation. I mean, have you had the Joy-Con drift situation on your Joy-Cons? As far as I can tell, I have not. Mm -hmm. But... I haven't seen it on mine either. I mean, the only thing I've noticed is some other issue. It's more the the sensor being very delicate. Like, I know this was addressed by Nintendo where, like, they literally just add, like, a metallic sponge inside your Joy-Con. Just because if it just has trouble, if any part of your body is in front of the Joy-Con, it will just lose connection, which could cause the drift maybe that is what it is but i don't know i guess i've just been more conscious about where the joy con is relative to any part of any human body right um which you shouldn't have to do right but yeah i don't know so i guess i'll have to test it out and make sure i don't have that because if it is the case i don't want to not send it and then this whole thing is over and then it's like yeah it's yeah. just so weird to me that like so they're saying oh yeah just keep it away from your body we put the little foam thing and whatever but then how is it that there are people who are buying switches well after the launch versions that are still running into this issue it's so bizarre to me and nintendo was so like they first you had to be under warranty and then they like kind of tiptoed around it they finally issued an initial statement which said nothing really they're just saying at nintendo we take great pride in creating quality products and we are continuously making improvements to them we are aware of recent reports that some joy-con controllers are not responding correctly we want our consumers to have fun with nintendo switch if anything falls short of this goal we always encourage them to visit support.nintendo.com so we can help Okay, so that doesn't acknowledge there's a widespread problem. It sounds like it's maybe perhaps a small problem. But then next day, you know, it gets filed a class action lawsuit about it. That Nintendo's like ignoring them. That Nintendo's purposely, you know, not addressing the issue. And now, finally, they've tackled it. They are internally telling their support staff, go ahead and fix it no matter what. Go ahead. It could be out of warranty. It could be in warranty. It'll be free. Did you happen to keep up with the trial or the, well, like no, the exact just, lawsuit? Or they whatever? just filed it like two days ago. Wow. Yeah. No, there's no actual trial yet. But I think the lawsuit's what got Nintendo to finally be like, screw it. Just we'll fix them all. But the fact that it took that long for them to say that, Switch been out for over two years. This issue was supposedly an easy fix with some foam, but then still kept happening. And even then, we don't actually know what the long-term plan is. Is there a long-term fix? Because we thought, oh, they'll just start putting the foam in the Joy-Cons. 
but I don't think the people complaining are all day one purchasers. So like when they bring out, you know, you mentioned the orange-purple Joy-Con, and there's also the blue-green Joy-Con. Those come out in October, those pairs. Orange-purple, actually, the Verge made a good point, kind of resembles Waluigi because he wears purple and has orange shoes. So the closer you're going to get to Waluigi <laughs> and any, Smash. If they release anything that's purple, that's I what know. they're going to say. I know. Well, or it could be a GameCube nod until the or orange comes Or it could be a GameCube in. nod. Not, not with the orange Or nod. it could be Wario's overalls, or it could be... No, because I need yellow. It's, a, it's probably a Barney re- reference. Listen, let them have their clickbait. The point, the point is... Um, well, we they're, well, they're going to have it whether... I know. The, the point is we don't actually know if those are fixed. Like, we don't know if newer Joy-Cons resolve the issue because, again, Nintendo's not being entirely transparent. They put out a statement like, we want to help. They internally told employees, go ahead and help. But they never followed up saying, here's the problem, here's how we addressed it. So it's all still in flux, but I kind of just hope they would tackle it head on. Hmm. Or maybe we always need to buy Switch lights where it's a non-issue because there are no Joy-Cons. Yeah. Ah, that's the ploy. They want us all to buy Switch lights. That all makes sense now. But anyway, that's the, that's the Joy-Con drift situation. I, too, haven't actually um, had to deal with it, luckily. But I don't know if I ever will. And I don't know if I buy new Joy-Cons if it will become an issue in two years. It's very much what Apple's doing I mean, with one of our keyboards. friends for sure has that issue. Yes, yeah, 100%. Um But I'm also curious, like, if it's in general or if it's, like, only when they're not playing handheld or... Well, I guess it doesn't you know what's matter. actually I mean, fun? If it's happening at all... You know what's I... actually funny? I was playing that very friend when we were in line at Comic-Con. We were playing Mario Kart. And I was like, oh, no, I'm getting the drift. And then I realized my uh, auto, the steering assistant was actually on. Oh, accident. yeah. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I keep drifting to the right. I don't understand. And it was the steering. But, yeah, I, I just hope Nintendo's a little more transparent because right now they are treating it very much like how Apple was treating their keyboards for the Mac, you know, the butterfly keyboards, how they kept failing on people. And they'd fix them as they go, and they'd be like, yeah, we're making some improvements, but they never really addressed it. And then eventually after years and three generations of the MacBook I'm using right now – they had to address it. Takes. Yeah, three ge- three iterations, I should say. And finally, they're like, yeah, we're changing the keyboard. I think Nintendo's going to ha- have to have that moment where they're like, yes, this is what's wrong with the Joy-Con. This is how we're fixing it. So time will tell. Apple managed to ride out for like three years, so you never know how long Nintendo keeps this going. But I'm hoping sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that pretty much does it for news. There's also what we've been playing. Which, we've been at Comic-Con, so we haven't been playing any, like, heavy-duty games, but we have been playing Dr. Mario World. And I think Dr. Mario's getting a bit of a bad rap, let's be honest. Like, people are not totally into it. And I think, in my opinion, there's really two ways of looking at Dr. Mario World. And how you choose to do so pretty heavily skews your impression of the game. Like, if you're looking at it for Dr. Mario gameplay, but on your phone, this is not that. If you're looking at it a bit more open-minded, there is a a match three puzzler here that is pretty fun, albeit different than Dr. Mario, and it does have some monetization issues and limitations. Not really issues, just limitations. So, I mean, I don't know what your experience with it is, but just to kind of let people know how this works, the core gameplay if anything, is more like the virus buster mode in later Dr. Mario's than it is the true Dr. Mario's of yesteryear. So you're still trying to match three of the same color. You're lining up pills with viruses, and those pills are still two-tone and can be split apart after you know a match three clears. But um, Gone is like the traditional setup of pills automatically falling, Tetris-style. Instead, you have a set number of pills you can use in a given level, and you choose when to introduce them into the level, and they sort of rise upward 
but you can also drag and drop them wherever you want with the one caveat of once you scoot them up you can't drag them back down so if you move like you know diagonal towards the top left corner you can't come back down towards the bottom right corner you can always stay in that upper region you've now entered um and i don't know like what, what, what are, how do you feel about it that gameplay style in particular i mean i really enjoy it i'm enjoying it's, it too it's different i mean i'm kind of glad it's not another dr mario probably wouldn't yeah. work with only touch controls so i feel like they found a really clever workaround that works well for touch controls it makes it feel more strategic to me than oh, a typical yeah. dr like, mario there's actually, a lot of strategy like i really love the fact that you can even um like delay some pieces by putting them close to the top so you can slice some newer pieces under them just so yeah. that you can like you know scooch them by so there's I know it's cool. I I really I really enjoy the new gameplay. Yeah, I think I think the fact that you can actually kind of what you're saying, you can actually grab and move them around the touchscreen, right? So you can have multiple pills moving at a given time, and you can choose to launch them. And then as they're slowly rising up, you can kind of do a juggling act and move some other ones, or even clear match trees. And then the half pill is still draggable, so you can it can get really elaborate. And you can actually, and because there's no time limit, there's no frenzy, you actually have time to like think of a strategy and kind of plot out how you want to do it. Which is great in a game that has limited stamina per mm-hmm. round. Yeah. So I, I think that's great. There's also some new uh, elements that factor into it too, which are kind of fun. Different levels now introduce all sorts of obstacles and items to interact with. Um, there's shells that will clear out a row. There's blocks that you need to bust to find viruses behind them. There's like iced out viruses that you need to hit twice, once to unfreeze, the second time to remove. You know, things like that. It, it, I think it really does help kind of shake up the gameplay because there are over 200 levels, five worlds. So them introducing these new mechanics as you go is, and the way they introduce them is really they're very good at like onboarding you, so to speak. And yeah, it's it, it's fun, it's fun. But I think if you want, I don't know how much you've dabbled in the versus mode, but I think if you are someone that's looking for the old frantic feel of Doctor Mario, you're going to want to play the online multiplayer mode. And this works both with friends you import from Facebook and line, and enemies, or with strangers, and you can make enemies or strangers, yeah, yeah. Um, and and here, what's interesting is it kind of skews the whole uh, single-player mode somewhat curated puzzle layout. So basically when you do single-player, you go level level, you have a certain number of pills, um, and you need to clear the board within a certain number of the, you know, within those pills. But in multiplayer, it takes the puzzle mechanics of dragging and falling up, but throws them into a more traditional Dr. Mario. And to me, it's super fun. It's like basically after you clear a certain number of viruses, you can send them to your opponent's screen like any multiplayer puzzle game. And it becomes a bit of a tug of war until one person's screen's totally full, very much like the original Dr. Mario or even Tetris. But what's nice about verse, uh, Versus is that at least from what I've played so far, the monetization system isn't too bad in Versus. You basically have a competitive Dr. Mario-ish puzzle game that's like a hybrid normal Dr. Mario and the Dr. Mario World single player. But there's no stamina meter to worry about. You just keep playing it's it it feels not like a mobile game, which is what's really nice. And while there are different doctors to unlock through like a more typical gotcha system, they each have their own attacks and defenses. That determines how many viruses you can send to your opponent or how many you block from coming to you. You know, none of the matches I've encountered have actually felt too unbalanced or too pay to win ish so far. Uh, Parse is because each doctor has a special attack as well, like clearing a full line at once. That sort of counterbalances the other stats. And I feel like you can also, because there are the assist characters you can add, so you can have like a Goomba or a Koopa Troopa or whatever, that can be applied to sort of buff you a little. So there are ways around it where the gotcha system, for me so far, has not been a huge hindrance in the enjoyment of multiplayer. I don't know how much you've tried multiplayer. Oh, yeah, that's the same thing. Considering like I don't really play this game that much, like I played enough. Right. 
the only game I really play a lot on mobile nowadays is mainly just Brawl Stars. So, like, if I'm going to dive deep into it, I, I mean, that's what I like about this game, is that you could just play it pretty much your heart's intent. There's, like, no, mm. nothing really stops you from playing it. Well, multiplayer. Single well, player, there's... Well, either way. Yeah. Like, multiplayer or by yourself. Yeah. And, but this is mainly a multiplayer game. But, like, Dr. Mario, like, I don't know. I'm satisfied after, like, one or two levels. Or one oh, or two. you meant for All-Stars, you could play your heart's content. I thought you meant Dr. Yeah. Mario. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that, that, yeah, but, yeah. yeah so because that's, like, the game I mainly, like, play a lot more right. of, like, Dr. Mario or any other phone game, like, I'll barely touch. I'll do, like, one or two levels at a time or one match, and then that's kind of it. Yeah. Then I'm kind no, of satisfied. I, so for that, if you're, like, playing a little bit here and there, it feels, like, perfect. Yeah, and that's, and that's a really good point because, like, if you look... So multiplayer doesn't have stamina and stuff, but single player... Like, if you look at the single player mode versus the multiplayer mode's monetization, you start to see the monetization creep in on single player. So if you're someone that only plays a game or two like you, it's fine. If you're coming from the perspective of someone who, like, firmly lives in the Nintendo console world and was all in on, you know, them charging $10 up front for Super Mario Run a couple years ago... You're gonna feel it. the 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 monetization stuff gets in the way if you if you're trying to play for a longer period of time. That sounds like you are at least, um, Angel. Yeah. Like, like I mean, single player basically just to give a sense of how the structure is. It is Candy Crush. So if you play it regularly, if you play Candy Crush, this isn't gonna be a big deal to you. But for those who don't or haven't, what it means is you're going down a world map. You're going level to level. Each level is a three star ring you can earn. Each time you make an attempt on a level, um you lose a heart whether or not you succeed you lose a heart and the first 20 levels are heart free you're fine you can play them as much as you want but then you start losing hearts and once you're out of hearts you either need to wait for them to recharge or you buy more using purchasable diamonds and i think packs of three dollars um so you're basically stopping your tracks if you want to play for more than a few minutes at a time so if you're if you're playing angel style you're good if you're trying to play nintendo fan or jason style like you know nintendo first player or jason style you're gonna be like wait what and it can be frustrating because if you're trying to get a higher star count on a specific stage or even just clear it for the first time, you know, in one of the later courses where it gets harder, you can fine-tune your strategy, you can figure out how you're going to do it, and then you're just suddenly stopped and you either pay up or wait and hope you don't forget the strategy you came up with for how to do that level. And it just feels like, I mean, it's as sleazy in a way as other mobile games, but it, it's still not, like, it's no worse, but it's not a great feeling anyway. And kind of in that same vein, like, I should say that while I didn't yet experience any pay to win vibes in versus there's potential for them to pop up i mean so far it sounds like neither of us had had to worry about that but like there is a chance that as they add more characters it's gonna become frustrating to have to spin the wheel in hopes of getting a new powerful one only to be stuck with some boring old one the nice thing they do unlike some games is actually tell you the percentages the win percentages for every given character so you know oh this character's a two percent chance so i'm gonna do this a lot but in a way, that also rubs salt in the wound because you're like, oh, if I want baby Dr. Baby Mario, if he ever becomes a thing, and he's like a 1.2%, it's like, oh, God. Like, maybe he has some super cool ability and maybe he has some really souped-up stats, but that's a pain to get, and that's going to really be where the gotcha feeling hits. I mean, as Walter White once said, tread lightly. Yeah, I guess. But I think... I think oh, yeah, you're not there yet. I know the line. Yeah, but, but I think the monetization issues like you're not allowed to acknowledge it yet. Is what I'm saying. I know the line pop culture, man. It's no, gone you're, beyond you're, the show. You're, Fine. you're legally Fine. not allowed okay, to acknowledge it. Let me it. back up. What <laughs> is that fair? No, you no, you're not supposed to acknowledge it. Uh, well, I can't be like what? Like I don't understand. No, no. I just ignore you. That's the law. Okay, well, I can ignore you pretty easily. Anyway, so monetization strategy. I wish I could. Uh, <laughs> no, what I was gonna say is I think because of these monetization things. 
um, I wouldn't say issues, just existences. I am curious to see how Dr. Mario World's going to do in the long term. Because right off the bat, its first week, Dr. Mario World was downloaded 5 million times. That's data from analytics from Sensor Tower. They track all this stuff. And it sounds good, 5 million. But it's actually on the lower end of Nintendo's mobile app debuts. I think only Dragalia Lost had a smaller first week. While Fire Emblem and Mario Run, they were at 8.4 and 8.5 million respectively. And Pocket Camp, Animal Crossing was at uh, 14.8 million. So 5 million for an opening for Mario, uh, Mario, Dr. Mario is not great. So if Dr. Mario is going to become this big monetization breadwinner for Nintendo on the mobile side, they might want to kind of counterintuitively loosen up some of their monetization schemes because A, it'll keep those playing happy and remain keep them playing and B, it will give it more positive word of mouth because while we're sitting here saying like, oh yeah, it's fun in these chunks and I really like Versus and you like playing you know a couple rounds and you go back to what you're doing. The dominant conversation I've been seeing online is a mix of people disappointed in how much is monetized and disappointed that the underlying gameplay beyond that monetization isn't even Dr. Mario that, you know, the Dr. Mario they thought it would be. So if Nintendo can show people there's actually fun to be had with the new structure, as we've discovered, maybe they can make some more money in the long term. So maybe if they scale things back a little, it will help in the long term. I mean, it's not all that unheard of for a mobile game, you know, to evolve in ways perhaps not originally planned or to change up monetization look at our old standby pokemon go that game has seen so many changes both in terms of gameplay and monetization opportunities through the introduction of new items and new mechanics and it never really relied on gotcha it just slowly and steadily expanded out its premium offerings in tandem with new gameplay hooks i mean just this past week they completely redid the appraisal system for your caught pokemon to specifically address that players want to know their Pokemon's IV stats, so it actually gives you breakdowns and tells you if, if it's perfect and whatnot. Basically, is it perfect or trash? Exactly. And then they also changed how trainer battles work. So if you're training against a team leader, a computer control character, it's a whole different mechanic that it was, which, again, isn't even a feature that existed two years ago, and now they've already changed it a second time. And they rolled out the idea of Team Rocket infiltrating Pokestops, and should you beat the grunt in a battle that's at the Pokestop, you can then catch new Shadow Pokemon for the first time and all these sorts of additions have helped the game bring in over the past three years over 2.65 billion dollars according to sensor tower the only game that's done better than that is clash of clans wait that's not a name yeah clash of clans that's a name when i said it it sounded you know like sometimes you see a word spelled out and you're like that spelling's wrong when i said out loud i'm like that name sounds wrong from the people that brought you clash royale and brawl stars exactly it was their first one Yep. Um, but yeah, so like obviously Dr. Mario World doesn't have a smartphone phenomenon in its back pocket as an advantage like Pokemon Go does, but if you can get people on the ground floor early, in on the ground floor early, it'll be easier to upsell them later on. It's what Pokemon Go did. It's what Animal Crossing Pocket Camp is now doing with the Hello Kitty collaboration they just rolled out, where you know there's a special in-game items you can get for a limited time. If they had those as part of the already heavy-handed day one monetization, I feel like it'd overwhelm people. It'd be too many things being monetized at once. But, you know, do it down the line, and those early players who you were looser with in terms of money making early on, they'll do it. They'll buy this stuff. Just like how, you know, um, Go introduces new gameplay ideas as recently as last week, three years in. There's nothing stopping Dr. Mario World from making the monetization loosen as they add new puzzle, you know, maybe they add new objects to the puzzle field or they add new elements or new modes, and then they could sort of start shoring up some of the monetization. Like, I mean, Dan Miners have already found there's additional characters on the way. Or doctors, I should say. So if I were Nintendo, I would take the feedback currently about the monetization to heart, and I would strip it out a bit, just for now. 
let people actually play a game, experience a different gameplay, and then, you know, sort of slowly trickle it back in, and they can be at this point in, like, six months. They did this exact same thing with Fire Emblem. Remember when they took out a whole layer of gotcha, like, six months? Or not Fire Emblem. Um, was it Fire Emblem? Fire Emblem or Dragalia? One of the two. They took out a whole layer of gotcha a few months in. I feel like they might want to do that for Dr. Mario, because there is... Well, getting any amount of gotcha out will definitely be good. Yeah, and, like, as we both have attested to, it is a fun game. It just... It, people are being turned off because they're being bogged down by all the monetization. So we'll see. I mean, the thing about mobile games is they're constantly evolving. They're never done. So maybe in six months, the conversation will be very different. But right now, it's a good game that's being saddled with some overly aggressive money-making. Which, to be fair, every mobile studio is doing. Every mobile game does this. But it's just Nintendo is supposed to be the one. They're supposed to take the high road, so... So that's my two cents. I don't know if you have anything to add about Dr. Mario. Not really. All right. Well, in that case, I think... Just, uh, I'm glad Dr. Bowser's a thing. That's the yeah, that, he's a great thing. He only has a 2% chance of being unlocked, which everyone keeps using as an example of the low unlock rates. But I'm like, but he's available the second you start. Like, he's a freebie at the beginning of the game. Why Why would you need to unlock him a second time? But whatever. You, you do you, Internet. You do you. Um, and... We'll do us again in actually less time than usual because we'll be back in our usual episode time slot uh, or day slot of every other Sunday. We'll be back on August 4th, and um, it should be an interesting one because it'll be right after Nintendo's next financial briefing, which, you know, usually comes with news beyond just the numbers. Uh, So we'll be covering that, whatever other news may break, have impressions of everything we've been playing. But perhaps more importantly than any of that, Next episode also marks the return of an old tradition of ours we haven't done lately, which is a third chair. If you thought I talk a lot, I will talk just as much, but there'll be two people that get ignored instead of just one. No, in all honesty, we're going to bring in a third person. It, it changes up the dynamic. It's fun. We used to do it every so often. It's kind of like a little treat. Did you catch that foreshadowing in the beginning when I said adding a third character to a dying franchise or season? I did not, but that's <laughs> great. That was smooth. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to shake things up. We're going to add the third character to the not-dying show hey, or he season. Could be, they could be the Urkel to the I don't want to be the Urkel because he's going to have catchphrases. No, I know, but, <laughs> I mean, that's skyrocketed to the show's popularity. That's true. That's it basically this became be the Urkel show. Hopefully it's not it. the poof to the Fairly Odd Parents. Cause... Or, or the Poochie to the Itchy and Scratchy. Well, and then he well, randomly takes of... off in the room. <laughs> but, I mean, that was the whole joke of that, yeah. yeah. I thought you were actually going to say, I don't remember what the... Little side tangent, but I feel like no show like encompasses that concept more than Fairly Odd Parents. Because I've never like, actually seen Fairly Odd Parents. Gasp. Interesting. Well, I mean, it was a very popular show. I'm yeah. sure you knew. Yeah, oh, I, I know of it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it Timmy for Turner. a while, but there was a period where I think I just stopped watching it, and then at some point, I know they added, like, they had a baby, and then they had the baby be a regular in the show. Right. But I guess it still wasn't doing well, so then they added a dog, and then that was still wasn't doing very well, so then they added. A second kid. Are you implying that in a few years we're going to have eight people on this podcast? <laughs> it's going to be a round table. It's going to be a round We did that. Do you remember the first con con we went to? We did that. We had a bunch of our friends on. It was like six people. It was, was it? Yeah. Six? Or maybe it was... No, it was four. Five. Five. Four. Five? Four. Uh, four. Okay, was, four, I could believe. Yeah. Six and five. I, listen, we're going to be the Knights of the Round Table. It's also, the Knights of the mics? Random Nintendo. At that time, we only had one. Don't go listen to that episode, guys, because the audio quality is going to be basically like shouting into a opera house. But yeah, so we'll be back with our third chair in, I was going to say two weeks' time, but it's really not. It's like barely over a week, August 4th. Yep. Um, that's what happens when Comic-Con happens. But until then, 
Um, actually, before that, to make sure you don't miss it, you can follow us on Twitter at Nintendo. You can subscribe to us on all the podcast apps. I, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. Our YouTube channel is RandomNintendo.com. You can follow us individually for our anecdotes about gaming and life. I am JSR7. He is E-I-R-O underscore O. And with that, I'm going to get some sleep. Like for real, like right now, right here. Because, yeah, ConCon's tired. I'm not a brace ConCon. So, I don't know if you also plan to sleep. I'll give you the last word. That's an understatement. All right. Yeah. We'll see you guys when we wake up on August 4th. <laughs>